but he's got a mirror full of Mr. Tikanera, Randy Pike. All through qualifying, stock buggy, very, very close. I think we had a bunch of different TQs, so it's anybody's guess who's going to take this one. Pike pushing hard now as he's slowly reeling in Derek. Leader is Ray Derek. Second spot, Randy Pike. Phantom versus Tekin right now in the horsepower division. Randy right on it. Come oh, oh. Derek Marshall, Marshall. Oh, Chris is on it. Ray Derek, first mistake of the mains he's made. And it is Randy Pike now out front with a huge lead. He got a mirror full, went for the line, pushed a little too hard. Overjumped just a touch. You saw him get up on the bicycle, not able to save it. Now finds himself, what is that, five seconds back from our leader. A main number two from fourth on a grid goes to Randy Pike. Charlie, look, I almost saw a smile there almost, on Randy. Look, almost, look, there's almost. a little smile. Look, look close. He knows he's Did got a lot it? of he's got a lot of oh, work yeah. to do still. <laughs> he's Good making run. you feel Randy, isn't he? And maybe one day I'll be wise. Cause maybe one day I'll be further from here. Put all of my faith in tomorrow. Dark days coming up all night. You ever wonder what it means to make it by any means And finally attain your dreams On the come up where they run up from the world of many fiends I've been at it since the team Get this money, get the cream Hard work and sacrifice But now that I know what I mean Most of these rappers ain't got no class like bomb threats It being ill is a disease, it's the onset And it don't matter where you at If you white it, if you black yeah, it, right. totally digging that new tune That one right there is called One Day uh, by Logic featuring Ryan Tedder uh, from One Republic. Yeah, I'm totally, totally digging that that music, that song. Yeah, that music too. I love Logic's music. It's uh, I'm not. I can't really explain why I like it so much. Uh, maybe it's the way he raps. I don't know. I, it's terrible. I know. I like rap music a lot lately. Like a lot, a lot lately. Like I've been listening to a lot of uh, Classified. He's a Canadian rapper. If you guys haven't heard of him. I've played some of his music before. He does that O Canada, in my opinion, should be the, the, the national anthem. We should be able to, as a generation, pick our national anthem. So, you know, my generation, if we really wanted to, we could pick that one instead. I know that's not the way things work, but it'd be nice. It'd be nice. I know for some people that'd be like sacrilege, but it is what it is. I like it a lot more. Plus, they keep changing all the, the, the lyrics to the Canadian national anthem because people get offended. Which is absolutely ridiculous, but I get it. Everybody can be offended by something in some way, somehow, but it gets ridiculous. Like, just stop it. Stop it. All right. So you're listening to the MBM Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Housen. Thank you very much for, for joining me. I almost, like, choked on my own saliva by doing that. I kind of shook my arm. Yeah, you guys can't see the video. I would never, ever want to do video, ever. While I'm doing this, it'd be way too awkward. I'd sit there and stare at myself, and that probably wouldn't be the greatest thing for you guys. Maybe some of you guys would find it funny. Probably a lot of you find it funny. Because a lot of you guys are like me. That's why you'll sit here and listen to me, which is still cool but awesome at the same time. But uh, I guess without further ado, let's get on with what's been going on with me. Um, I've been racing over at the local track. And that's been going really good. Uh, Rick from Gone Banana sent me some foam 
to try out on the track because I was using my old carpet tires, and it's amazing. Uh, the first time I used them, it was raining a little bit on and off throughout the day, uh, but seemed to be pretty good as long as the, the main running surface was dry. I had no issues whatsoever with grip or, or drive, um, and I never had to sauce them, which I was saucing the, the carpet tires like almost nonstop in order to just be able to run. So I was pretty happy with them. So yeah, if you need foam tires, check a, send a message to Rick, you know, Gaman and Racing Skins. That poor guy is so busy. So if you send him a message and he doesn't answer you right away, give it a day, send him another one just to, hey, what's up? Um, the poor guy, you know, he works a full-time gig, 40 hours a day, just like the rest of us. Um, and then, you know, he comes home, eats dinner, you know, says hi to the wife and then heads to the garage and, and starts cranking out these foam tires. So uh, be patient. Um, you know, don't, uh, don't think he's ignoring you intentionally or anything like that. He's a one man show. He's doing everything in house himself. Um, so it, it, you know, it, it requires a lot of his attention. I ended up getting in a little, uh, care package, uh, from my friend. I shouldn't even say care package cause at the same, I, I sent them to him. Actually, I didn't send them to him. I brought them to him. Uh, I had the very fortunate, uh, opportunity to head down to Mackinac, uh, with my family, which was great, but I also got an opportunity to meet. Uh, wrote to Ron. Uh, Ron and I sat down, had dinner together, him and his wife with my family, um, and we had a great RC discussion. It was, it, it fuels the passion for why I do the podcast. It, it reminds me why I come down here and I do what I do and I hop on Facebook and I interact with you guys. And, and I know sometimes I, I don't do it as much as I probably should. Uh, there's always something going on around here. And I really need to to try and interact with you guys more because I appreciate you guys so much. It's really, it's awesome. But yeah, so I, I dropped my motors off uh, with Ron. I gave them to him and said, here, give them a you know, cleaning, go through them, make sure all my bearings are good, all my boards are good, all that kind of jazz because I don't know what I'm really looking for and, you know, it's no sense in me doing it when this is what you do. And, of course, you know, um, the motors came from him originally, so why wouldn't I have him look at them again? So he brought them back. Uh, he upgraded my r1 motors he offers this package called the full monty it's 40 dollars. you get ceramic bearings uh, a teflon um, spacer the aluminum uh, timing ring aluminum can screws and the aluminum uh, timing screws as well so it's a whole package upgrade it does increase performance on the motors um, so of course increasing performance is great because i always thought my r1 was silly fast to begin with so i'm super stoked to put that back in uh, my two-wheel drive buggy and go out because the last week when I went, uh, I had my Tekken Spec R. I kept it because it was in the on-road car and um, I wanted to move it over to my two-wheel drive buggy. So I still had it while my motors were gone off to get, uh, you know, their their checkup, which everything came out perfect. Motors are still good. I didn't um, kill any of them, which, which is always a good thing for me because, you know, sometimes I worry that... Um, <laughs> maybe I'm killing my motors, but you know, I do te- check temperatures and stuff like that. I think that was the early on racing learning curve is don't do things. So that's why I like dealing with rotor on because I don't have to worry about timing on the motors. He does it all for me. It's set. I put it in my car and it's performed amazing for me thus far. So thanks rotor on. Appreciate it very much. Pleasure meeting you. It was a pleasure having dinner with you and I hope to be able to do it again sometime soon for sure. It was a great conversation. I really wish I could have recorded it. It was that good of a conversation. Uh, but definitely fueled a little bit of a 
fire under my belly, so I wrote down a bunch of notes for tonight's show and everything like that. So to get back to what I was actually talking about with the Rotoron situation is I got my motors back from them, and I got, instead of having the 13.5 drag motor, I now have a 3.5 drag motor, and I'm looking forward to getting that into my spec car, because that car needs a bit of work to be finished and ready to run. I'm hoping to kind of piece everything together over the next two weeks and have the car into 100% rolling chassis, um, scaled, all set up, ready to go. Uh, I got to finish trimming the Dodge Dart body. I might do a couple of test hits, but I'm going to do it with the old Angelo body. If any of you guys remember that, that's my uh, Ninja Turtles, uh, unsuspectedly Ninja Turtle painted uh, drag body um, that I did my 74 mile hour run with. So I'll probably mount it on the car for a couple of test hits uh, just to see how it's going to come out of the hole. Um, I'm super looking forward to using my Gropner radio this year with the drag racing stuff because there's a whole bunch of programming options that that thing has that work great with drag racing. Um, i got to learn most of them. I've been given a little tutorial guide that I actually have to start reading through to to really learn it, but I don't think it'll be much of an issue. I, I pick that kind of stuff up pretty good. So... Super stoked for that, so stay tuned. Uh, I've been actually, I, the other day, I cleaned off my whole workbench, cleaned it up, um, and this leads me into the next part. Coy Roberts, dude, thank you so very much. Um, the shirts are actually all in the washer right now. But Coy Roberts, the good, I shouldn't say good buddy, but now he's a good buddy of mine because Coy totally hooked me up with the front and rear clips from Atraxas Slash, and... <laughs> I'm going to be able to put those on my LCG chassis that I got over my workbench and actually start putting my NPRC car together, which that is going to be totally epic. Um, I can't wait to build that car. I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to put in it yet for a servo um, out of the MKS line. I'm going to look through there. Uh, I'm super stoked on this announcement, too, that thanks to Tim Smith for bringing me on to the drag crawling team. Uh, with MKS, I'm super stoked. You know, obviously, I've been representing MKS um, for forever now. Well, two, three years, something like that. But they've been the best servos I've ever used, so I have no issue supporting them whatsoever. But I'm super stoked to actually be part of a drag crawling team. So you're going to see a lot of my efforts uh, centered around my drag cars. Um, that awesome SCX102 behind me is going to get some MKS love here coming up soon as well. It's going to get a nice, I think I'm going to put an X6 in it because I think that'll just look really nice. It's all black and shiny and it'll look cool in there. And then I do want to pick up a Dodge Ram Proline body, scale body, because, you know, I'm a Dodge guy. That's just the way it is. Sorry about your luck. Every If you haven't figured it out, I bought a Dodge Dart uh, touring car body. I've got the Dodge Dart drag body uh, because it will go on the car for the, the official run. If I feel that I can push it through the last little bit um like if i can crack off a good run with the the angelo body then i'll probably put the dart body on um and try oh that might be a bad idea now that i think about it so scratch that idea i'm gonna have to run that awesome dodge dart body which means i'm gonna have to have a paint job put on it i think i'm just gonna do a singular color I wanted a really cool scheme with it, but I think what I'm going to do is just a singular color for this, and when I do get the record, then I'll order another one, trim it just like this one, have it painted real nice, mount it. Because the reality is, is for me, I have a very short time frame to run the car, um, so it's going to spend a lot of life on the shelf as a shell queen. So I'd, I'd like to have a race shell and then a display shell because these cars are just 
they're they're so sexy. If you don't have one in your life, you really should. Roy Anderson Engineering, um, the RAE spec car is what I have. You can check them out. Tony Ru- uh, Tony Rudis sells them on Rudis Motorsports. You can Google that. That's a mouthful for me tonight. I'll tell you. But uh, yeah, so the spec car is going to be done. Hopefully in the next like two and a half weeks, I got to get my on-road car together because I'm getting a bunch of the guys at the local club that have theirs ready. Um, so I'm going to have to bug my buddy Dan to get his together because me, Dan, Marty, a bunch of us will go out and run. It'll be awesome. Uh, so it'll be my first time driving an x-ray on-road car. First time driving at all an on-road car. So it should be definitely interesting. Um, let's see here. What else do I got? did that i went through that i'm referring to my notes right now but yeah so koi roberts from the azrc club the arizona rc club thank you koi for sending that out you are awesome and also welcome to the team as well koi recently in addition to the drag slash crawling team koi roberts thank you very much for sending me those front and rear clips he dude he, he sent me i've got some stickers so if you guys want a couple mbm de- decals um like they're the real like vinyl like kind of decal they're not like a, a sticker if you're interested in like having one or two, let me know. We'll work something out. Um, I don't mind sending them to you as long as we can figure out how to do it where I'm not paying a bunch of money to do it. So if you want a few, let me know. Uh, but yeah, Koi sent me some. So I, I, why I clean the workbench off. Finally getting back around to it uh, was uh, he sent me a couple of really nice ones. So I had an MKS sticker already on there and I put two more the MBM podcast. I can't remember what the other one was. There was two of them. They were both really awesome. Oh, hashtag Yoka homie. That's what it was. Um, but yeah, so I got that. I'm kind of building like a corner to take pictures in um, slowly but surely. So that way I can offer you guys some more nice, you know, nice pictures, content, everything like that. Because I know, like I, I've been looking through some of my pictures that I just snapped here and there. And I've never posted them or shared them with you guys. And I just say to myself, man, that's a good picture. You know, like last year when I was building my, my drag car, I have one of it with the body all trimmed out sitting on top of it before I painted the body. And it's like, man, that looked really sharp. So I'm going to kind of try and emulate again this year with that, with the Dodge Dart body before it goes off and gets paint. Honestly, I think if if Dan can manage it, I'm going to have him paint it the same color that he did my four-wheel drive Yoko home. Uh, <laughs> Yoko homie. Yokomo uh, YZ4SF. I'll actually put a picture up of the color of the shell for you guys here. Um, when I post it, the show will probably go up on Saturday at some point. So maybe Saturday afternoon after the show has been up for a little bit, I'll put a picture up. And if I forget, somebody send me a message because I will right away. Let me go back to the notes so I can give you guys some more. Um, what else do we got here, buddy? I've already talked about that. Oh, so back to the club night. I'm all over the place. I'm sorry, guys. See, here's the problem. As all you guys know, I have ADHD. Unfortunately, the way things come out of my brain is totally out of sorts. I'm working on this whole note-taking thing. Uh, it's helping immensely, but what I now realize, I have to go back and organize my notes so they're <laughs> in chronological order so I don't jump any, everywhere. Uh, but I do did want to mention, um, huge shout-out to Max Amps. Uh, those 4250 Max Amps uh, shorty packs that I run, the same one that I put in my spec car that I ended up running in my, probably in my two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive car, these are the same batteries that I use in everything I'm doing. If I'm racing off-road, I'm using these 4250s. If I'm doing my drag racing, I'm running the 4250s. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do for my on-road car yet. I've got to figure that out. Uh, I'm going to have to get a hold of Josh while I find out what he suggests. And that'll be what ends up inside my on-road car. I'm totally stoked to get that car done. Um, But yeah, so I was out and 
a friend of mine, Maverick, he, he, he only brought one battery with him and he, uh, low voltaged and we wanted to run some more. And I'm like, well, I just put in my second pack. I said, I brought three. I said, here, run my third one. Cause I'm not staying that long. So I have no use for it. So at least you'll bring it down for me. So that way I can wait a day before I put them in storage mode. So I handed it to him. He put it in his car. We get out there, start running. He goes, oh man, what kind of battery is this? And I told him just a max amps, 4250. So I didn't do anything special to it. He goes, man, it's got so much like power i'm not used to that I kind of started laughing because i'm like wow that's really awesome like i love hearing that from a battery that i've probably used for you know the last two years and it's still holding up like that I, that's super super stoked about that um but when he went to hand it back to me he said, well that explains it. it's 150 c i said well i said i guess so i said it pays to have a quality battery i guess so uh, i'm super stoked on my max amps packs they haven't let me down uh, and yeah you're never going to convince me otherwise. I've tried other, you know, LCG shorty packs, and no, no. What I thought was an advantage was not an advantage. It didn't, it, it, it was a mind game. The car was good the day that I did the testing, and it didn't really matter what I did to it till I tested another time on another day at another track, and it, it mattered big time. So it's one of those situations that made me realize that you're not going to beat that 4250. Not for what I'm doing anyway. And you're not going to change my mind on it. I know there are other packs out there that people will argue, but that's that's cool. I like my Max Amp. Just let me stick with it. Cool. Thanks. Carry on. <laughs> Stop looking at me like that. I see all you guys looking at your radio going, Matt, you're losing it. Sometimes. That's the problem. Sometimes I just can't put my finger on it to slow it down. And my mouth runs too quick. The good news is there's editing. And I just got to know when to stop talking. And then start talking. So you don't know if I edited the show anywhere in there, did you? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Uh, but yeah, so that kind of covers a lot about what's been going on for me over the last couple of weeks. Because it was July 20th, the last time I gave you guys a show. Again, I'm trying to do these a little more often. Um, I was totally reinvigorated after meeting with, with Ron and having a conversation with him. And, you know, I'm totally stoked uh, to be really putting more effort into the show. So I'm really going to be trying to do a little bit better breakdowns over the stuff that I've been doing, you know, products that I've been using to let you guys know what I really think of them. Uh, because at the end of the day, if I get something and it's not the greatest, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the greatest. Because I, I, to me, that's not fair. You guys a lot of times look to people like myself and Tim and, and, and others for your opinions on products as to whether or not you're going to purchase them. And, and I definitely have always wanted and hoped that when I believe somebody on, on, you know, telling me that they don't think it's good or they think it's good that I can trust that. So hope you guys trust me in what I'm telling you. That stuff's great for me. I've never had an issue with it. And as soon as I start having problems, I'll start telling you guys. Um, but I haven't had any really issues yet. Can't wait to get out, run that spec car. I don't have very many weeks left. Uh, so I'm going to set up the timing system, clear the track. I'm going to sugar water it down like I did last year. Uh, and that'll be about it. Run my power paste. Hoping to get a bunch more people out there. I'm hoping to have my NPRC car built uh, by that point and be able to bring it out, show everybody it, show them how much fun it is because it is... Drag racing has become my obsession again. And, and I know I've mentioned it before on the TSR podcast, but I used to be that kid that would watch... Now, where I live, it was Channel 34... And they used to have like Shade Tree Mechanic on. And that's where they had the NHR drag racing every weekend. And, you know, this was my, I had to say maybe through 8 through 12 
what I would do any chance I got. Anytime I was watching TV, I was watching that kind of stuff. And then as I got a little older and, you know, started going out of the house and hanging out with friends, I stopped watching or paying as much attention to it. And then lo and behold, Tim comes back into my life and drags me back into drag racing. And I'm now realizing that everything I look at, I'm looking at somehow a way to turn it into a drag car of some kind. And it's ridiculous, but I love it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So maybe if the on-road thing doesn't work out, I'll turn it into a drag car too. But yeah, so I hope to hit 100 mile an hour this year, folks. I really do. Uh, I know it's going to take some effort, some work. Um, I'm really hoping that I don't destroy the car. You know I will be running uh, video for every run that car hits the track, multiple angles. Uh, I want to be able to see either the disaster or the sheer joy. Uh, I know I'm going to try it at 132 feet. The first couple, of course, are going to be soft like I did with my 13.5. Uh, I don't want to kill anything. But I feel that as I get to the point where I can turn it all the way up, then I think it's going to be awesome. I, I'm really I'm really hoping it's going to be really awesome. I'm going to spray the crap out of it. I'm going to put a bunch of the, the sugar water down, make it as sticky as possible, um, and hope hope to hit 100 mile an hour with it. So, and I hope to do it for you guys, because I know how much you guys will enjoy seeing it too, because I know when I see fast cars on, uh, RC cars anyways, drag racing, it, it's awesome. So, but yeah, what else have we got on tonight's show? Oh, a guest. Yeah, that's right. We're going to bring a guest on. Absolutely. Because I don't think it's right to, to do a show without a guest, really. But uh, our good friend Randy Pike over from Tekin Team Manager is going to join us again this, this evening. Uh, we got some questions for him. I've got some questions and topics and things that I'm going to ask him about my drag car, um, ESC stuff. We're going to go over a couple of settings. I'm actually going to bring the software up. I'm going to have a couple of things, and I'm going to ask them about them and how they they can work for me in drag racing, what they can do if I change this from that. Uh, and all you guys will be able to be witness to it too, and I think that'll be really awesome. So he's going to join us. I've got a ton of questions. I was searching, not searching, I was scrolling Live RC last night trying to get some ideas and thoughts uh, for the show, and... Um, I kind of came across a couple of topics that I'd love to hear what Randy's thoughts and opinions are on. So we're going to ask him about that too. And we're just going to try and give you a great show to listen to. I know sometimes these beginnings and openings of the shows are real rough because I ramble a lot, but I'm working on it. I really, truly, I'm really trying to put together this wonderful list and category thing. And I got to, like, I do it on my phone, but I got to do. I didn't come down early enough to put it on the computer, so it was up on a screen in front of me. And, and maybe if I start doing that, I can put it in chronological order. And if you're somebody who finds that you uh, forget a lot of things, because I tend to forget a lot, um, use the notes thing in your phone. It's the greatest in the world. I've been trying to use it more and more lately. I go into it. I usually hit the talk to text uh, you know what I mean, button where it listens to me talk and then just types it in because it's so much obviously faster. Um, especially for me, because I tend to, like I said, ramble. So just a little peer into my inside of my head. But I think at this point, we're going to take a quick break. Um, before we take that break, though, I do want to say thank you to each and every one of you listeners for listening. And of course, thanks to the sponsors of the show. Without you guys, I'd still be doing it. But I still appreciate you guys for supporting me in this awesome hobby that I love so much. And hopefully the rest of you guys enjoy it as much as I am. I'm going to take a quick break, play a little commercial little tunage before Randy comes on, and then we're going to talk to Randy Pike from uh, Tekin. So stay tuned. Thanks.
All I won't say in today uh. I feel like I can touch the ceiling And I'm gonna do things My way, my way But maybe that's over I'm putting like a hoodie and a ball cap I wear a hoodie and a ball cap Hey yo, my offense is offensive, I'm clearing the benches Class is back in session, I just broke out of detention Don't need no bodyguard, nah, no type of protection I got a vasectomy, so sexually I'm protected with no contraceptive uh, Feel like I'm floating every night and day And the price I paid for this life ain't no ice can pay My life will change, that's the way it is Used to wrap the razor roof, now I wrap the razor my Alright, back from a short little break for you guys But an entire day for me uh, but I'm back for the second half of the show, and as I told you before I went on break, I'm bringing the one, the only, THE Randy Pike back on the NBN Podcast. Welcome to the show, Randy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back. Well, absolutely. Anytime you want to come on this show, it's 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 like a no-brainer. Like, you, you've supported, you've come on this show from way back in the day before I had no idea what I was even doing in RC and I was plugging things in backwards, which I'm not saying I'm exactly exempt to doing still, but, you know, before I really knew anything, um, you were gracious to come on. And, of course, I think somebody else put you up to this one, didn't they? Who who who, who threw us under the bus? I actually don't remember who that was, but, yeah, someone was giving me a hard time that I hadn't been on a podcast in a while. Like, oh, there's a couple of them I've been on. I don't mind going on them again. So anything I can do to help spread the good word of RC racing, I'm in. Well, and the, and the best part is is... There's always something new. Like, it seems to be, obviously, because it has to be. Like, I kind of wonder where everything's going to continue to go. Because the cars are getting to a certain point that they're they're ridiculous to begin with. Yeah. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. do you think it's going to become harder for, for these engineers to come up with things that make the cars still even better than they are now? I don't know about that. I mean, I think the biggest struggle right now is is... RC's kind of stalled out with a little bit of lack of creativity. Although I, I, I got to give it to the Associated guys just recently. Their update to the 6.1 was pretty legit. I mean, they did some pretty interesting things with the gearbox. I was actually just building the truck uh, just before we got on the podcast. And uh, it's very interesting how they went kind of almost Durango-esque with their slipper clutch design. Uh, they aren't the first to do it, but they definitely utilized it. I think this is a little bit smarter than it would have where it should have been done versus, unfortunately, for Durango, they were... A little too early with the party and didn't really polish that idea too well. But it's funny because if you look at the original DX210 uh, that we all raced for a little while, a lot of these designs were back then already on the car. So it's the innovation I think is unfortunately missing, but I definitely like the cars are easier to work on. I mean, X-Ray had the removable diff out of the back. Associates incorporated that into their design. That's obviously sweet because I'm just as lazy as the next guy uh, as far as doing diff rebuilds. But it's cool because like we have a lot of turf tracks here local. And unfortunately, one did, one did just close down. But being able to swap gear diffs even between different fluids, if you had them pre-built, would be a couple of minutes. That's the nice thing. Yeah, yeah. If you had two or three diffs, you know, 5.7.9 or 5.7.10 or whatever you had built, or you had two sevens with one had two gear, one had four gear, and you wanted to see what the difference was, you could literally take minutes to swap them out on the track, which is nice because one of the hardest things about testing this stuff sometimes is that the track consistency is not always the same, even on AstroTurf. It's amazing how it can change. You know, we have outdoor Astro, so if it's super, super hot, the track's pretty nuts. Yeah. And just a, just the a shade hitting it can change the grip. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. We we race on carpet. When we were racing up here, the gym we were in didn't have great heat. And, you know, you were searching for traction all the time. Then you'd go 
down, you know, an hour down the road into Michigan and be in a the next weekend and have so much grip, you're shaking your head going, what am I doing here? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the cars are, are probably as, as good as they've ever been, if not the best they've ever been. Um, I run Yokomo cars primarily, and obviously those cars are just, they're just pretty much silly in a good way, which is that you can, you get really no excuse to have a car that's good. It's, it's not the car. It's you. If you can't drive the car fast, it's it's you. It's not the car. Or you've got a setup that's just nowhere near where it needs to be, and you just haven't taken the time to drive the car. But I kind of laugh nowadays when guys are like, oh, yeah, you know, I run the Yokomo or whatever, and I just think you associate such a better car, and it's like, it's not the car. <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> You know, it's, it's the cars are so good now. I mean, yeah, I, I'm confident to where I could say it there and tell you I could take pretty much any car on the market that's new uh, right now and be competitive with it at the local track level, bigger events. It's just not not really the car. Yeah, it's most of the time drivers. I, I'm totally there with you on that. I think I'm even to the point now where I could pick up, you know, a TLR, build it. As long as I got a setup on it that I could drive, I could be just as fast with it as my Yokomo cars, as I was with an associated car. I just, I bought a newer car because I was running a B5M. No doubt. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm more concerned about the generation. Like, obviously, one of the newest cars to, to be regened up is the, the new Kyosha RB7. And yeah. it's, I'd say, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? I'd say it's conservative as far as being updated. But obviously, it was a, as a car or a platform that Kyosha decided they need to do something with. But at the same time, I mean, I, I might be conservative right now making big car changes just because who knows what's going to happen next. I mean, carpet and Astro and, and stuff like that's kind of the new rage. And I really enjoy that kind of racing just because the consistency of the track is, is pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, as long as it's the same track. But um, it, it's it, I think we're kind of in this lull right now in this weird pause moment where the industry just doesn't really know what to do with itself, unfortunately. You know, cars are fast. People are too demanding sometimes when they expect, you know, to have the world's greatest everything as soon as they just paid for it and bolted it in. And we've <laughs> kind of gone to this fast food mentality where, well, if bought it, it should be fast. And it's like, it is fast. You've got to learn how to use it. You know, but that's that that's missing. You know, we had back in the, the good old days of our seed, like you buy a kit, but you had to dremel it and file it and ream out the holes. And it was more about being a, a model that you had to assemble, but you got to drive it. So the... The more time you spent building the kit, making sure everything was aligned and everything was free, that you 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 know kind of took this ownership and this you know that you took the time to build a good car and you didn't just thrash it because you expected that you put in the time so it was good, versus someone who just slapped it together. And it's the cars now are so good when you build them, you don't have to really touch them. So people just have this expectation. It's like a Lego kit. When I built it, like I have this giant castle, it should be cool, and it's like. Yeah, but you, you have, you're a part of this combination. Like, I can build you the best car, but if you can't drive or you don't spend the time practicing or getting the rest of your stuff all set up together, they're still going to suck. Yeah, it's absolutely. <laughs> but then they go throw tantrums on you know, social media about everything that doesn't work. Some of that's just – all you can do is just kind of shake your head. You know, let it roll off your back sometimes. But hey, it would be nice – I was kind of talking to a big group of people. Oh, this is the last event we were at where sanctioning bodies have kind of gotten mute. You know, even just all of them in general. It's not just roar. It's not just whatever. It just seems all of them in general have kind of gotten numb, and they're not really, in my humble opinion, doing what they should be doing, which is helping, you know, <sighs> bring more people to RC. I mean, I'm talking everybody. It's roar, effort, Ifmar, you know, all of them. You're not, not wrong. Really, you, you know, know that I think they, about it, you're totally right. Yeah, I mean, ten years ago they used to be a lot more active, and that was you know, horrible because we had less social media back then, if any. Crap like MySpace, but 
it was one of those things where you at least saw them being active. Even the members of the clubs and the members of the, the, the committees were more active and they were engaging the customers. And just one of those things where they've just gone numb. And is it because it, it's all volunteer based and so there's no one really financially or, or you know stuck to getting these things done? I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's just the fact that I think that the people that right now are maybe running some of these sanctioning bodies have just gotten timed out. You know, maybe they're a little exhausted, maybe not really into keeping everything up to speed. I mean, it's a fast paced, you know, very much fast paced industry now compared to it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Look how long, for example, go back to Carter, right? The B4 one point la- platform lasted, what, 10 years overall. I mean, cool, there was a point one and a point two and maybe some other trinkets here and there, but that platform lasted you know, almost a decade. Yeah. Nowadays, the platforms are two years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So I think it's, and that seems goes with a lot of this technology. It's evolving so quickly that it reminds me of a market I can't stand, which is the cell phone market. So, like every time you turn around, you buy a new phone. By the time you walked out the door, it's, it's there's already a new one. Yeah, you know, you no, imagine? I told you. <laughs> it sucks. It's horrible. I'm always a generation behind. Like in April of last year, I shouldn't even say a generation. It was pretty much two generations behind. Like I got an iPhone 6s a year ago in April. You know what I mean? So it's just been a little over a year that I've had it. And, you know, I see these people with, like, the iPhone X and, you know, iPhone 8s, and I'm kind of going, like, how do you guys afford to keep up with it? Like, because I've seen you with an iPhone 7 before you got that. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. No, and I try to go two generations back myself, too, as long as I don't, you know, bust it or break it or it's the battery's not crapped out on the phone altogether. I don't usually do it at all. I skip the whole – I'm an Android guy, so I skip all the whole 7s and everything. I pick up a Note 8 just because – the battery on my S6 was just lasting less than an hour and a half oh, throughout yeah. the entire day, even if I didn't touch it. You know, and it got hot as hell when you charged it, so I was waiting for it to blow up. Yeah, it was. It was definitely but, trying to tell you it's time, man. I've outlived my yeah, my right. life. <laughs> I give up, but yeah, especially as much as I'm on the damn thing. But it's just one of those. It, it's. I just wish the industry, most of the manufacturers, and actually some of this is happening, is actually happening. Maybe not everyone's aware of it, but I'll bring it up. Is that. I wish more of the manufacturers would have an open, candid conversation, whether it was a forum, social media page. I quite frankly don't care where the conversation happens, but bring some guidance and, and kind of help steer what actually needs to happen. Like, it, it's we all make these crazy cars, and the price of the cars goes up and up and up. And a lot of that has to do with the frequency of the changes, for example. So, if I knew molds on my arms would last three or four years, then that I could afford to, you know, work on other parts of the car. But if I have to change those things every six months because I'm made, then that mold becomes more and more expensive, and that it's, everything gets up in price. Now we're, you know, 420 bucks is your average two-wheel drive buggy kit price. Where, you know, five years ago it was 275, 250. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, everything inflates at that point too, but the cars are so much more sophisticated now, where a lot more carbon fiber parts, a lot more aluminum bits on them, and so you know, they're not as as uh, mold tooling price goes down, but then the actual individual parts go up. I mean, it's just it's a weird circle, but. I wish that, like, for example, me, if I was able to pull the trigger and run this the circus, I would make stock genuinely stock. You wouldn't be allowed to modify the car. If the car came with it, you got to run it. If the car didn't come with it, you don't get to touch it. So, for example, you know, you can't really do bearings. You can't tech a bearing. I mean, you kind of can, but it's, not, it's a waste of time. But in other words, if, like, Losi did the, their SR version of their car. Mm-hmm. So it's a regular two-wheel drive, but the stock perfect they can run that car the way it sits yeah and that and that's the way you have to run the car now let's say for example yokomo came out with a stock version of the car and it came with you know aluminum cvds or in a slipper locker or whatever that was that's how you had to run the car 
you can't go out and drop 600 bucks on carbon fiber. You don't put all the aluminum, you know, pucks or whiz bangs or gizmos on the car. You know, that's the way it comes. You have to run it as it's stock. So the, stock. would you introduce like a, 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 like a stock class for the hop-ups? Because without having the hop-ups, a lot of companies would kind of not have a, a market. Yes. Yeah. So like if you remember, I don't know how far you go back, but there used to be stock, super stock and mod. Right. So that in brushless stuff, that was 17.5, 13.5 and then full mod. Mm -hmm. I would do something like that as well, where maybe, for example, stock buggy is 20, super stock buggy is 17.5. And at that, that point, upgrades are unlimited. Run whatever you want to strap in the car as far as like everything else goes, your pucks, your lockers, your carbon, all your bearings, all of your titanium, all that stuff is the way it happens. Fantastic. But box stock is where I want to focus. And the reason is that because the kits would be cheaper. They don't have to. If you find, like, for example, all joking aside, if you, you run Yokomo cars, right? Yeah. Our cars are not stock. They might be, yours might be close. Mine's close-ish, but it's still not stock. I could throw another 300 bucks at that car, throw in some MIP pucks in it, for example, or you know, more titanium parts or mm -hmm. whatever I wanted to do versus the stock car is already fantastic as it is at around 400 bucks. But that's not an affordable price point for a new racer to come into it. So if I can get that price point, for example, to be, let's say, 289 just because I pulled that number out of the air, that's map pricing. You cannot sell your stock buggy competition kit or the box stock class. The map has to be 289. And that means for every manufacturer, right? We map everything else. We map motors and batteries and their retail caps and all this other crap. Why isn't there on cars? And that car has to be, you know, that's the kit you have to run for the next year and a half or two years. Even just call it two years. You're only allowed to you know, submit the models on certain you know, even years, for example. And that way the yeah. car manufacturers can fit in. And then basically that's what you have to run. Now, granted, obviously, those platforms are going to be very similar to what the Superstock guys are running. But now, the, you know, the aftermarket companies get involved. Even the factories make upgrade parts. But what we're missing is that entry-level class. Because here's what sucks. If you're a new racer and you bring your buddy to the track and you show them your spread. And what I mean by spread is your pit table at your track. How much money is sitting there? Yeah, it's not. <laughs> right? So you know, there's, there's more to this. So, for example... I don't even want to tell you how much money is on my pit table. It's disgusting, but basically it's thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. So let's just call it three grand. That's the tools, the radio, the charger, the batteries, you name it, right? Let's be honest. We're competition stock racing. We're probably into an eye charger for 300 bucks, a thousand watt power supply for 80 bucks. Yep. Don't yep. forget the resistor bank because now you're going to discharge at 400 amps. Well, yeah, so come on. You got to have that's 80 bucks, right? So my charging setup alone is 600 goddamn dollars. I didn't buy batteries yet. Didn't have a car, don't have a motor, don't have any of this stuff. So it's outrageous to get started in. I mean, oh, I know. I... For some of this stuff, which is why our, our hobby sucks so bad right now, is that entry level scares the bejesus out of people. Well, yeah, for sure. And, and that's, that's like, don't get me wrong, I love running in stock. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done for my racing personally. I think <laughs> it's made me a better racer by going to stock. Um, but, like, my car is so quick. Like, I, I feel bad when we go out and we're at a club night. And I put my 17.5 stock buggy, and, you know, the, the one guy says, yeah, these are stock buggies. And it's kind of like, okay, my buggy's faster than almost everything out there. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel terrible about it because somebody's going to come up and say, okay, well, what do I need to do it? And fortunately for me, I don't run anything overly fancy. Like, obviously, I run, an, you know, an RS Pro Black Edition, and I run yeah. a good 17.5 motor and a decent battery. But I don't, I don't do the, the big discharge charge because i can't afford to be replacing my batteries every two months because i'm beating the snot out of them well and i think that's the problem right so let's say i was to show up to your home track and you and i were doing some running 
And even if you were identical as far as driving still goes, if I just started charging it, you know, 20 amps even and discharged at 40, I will still smoke you. Oh, the absolutely. First minutes, it's definitely an advantage. And that's what that's that intimidation factor, right? Nobody mm-hmm. wants to get beat by someone's paycheck. No one gets to, wants to get beat by how much money somebody spent. The, the wallet racing has got to stop <laughs> at the stock level. Yeah. Right? Super stock, that's a different category. But it's funny, when you go look at regular motorsport industries and other forms of racing, there's not like an immediate jump into the F1 version of stock racing. There's Formula E, there's Formula 2, there's Formula 3, there's there's a million other things to go into, right? But so to get more people in this hobby, which unfortunately is what it desperately, desperately needs, you need to start getting a, a more affordable entry-level platform. That's why the Slash works so well. Yep. Now, here's Traxxas, everything in the box, 200 bucks. I mean, everyone should be giving Traxxas a high five. I mean, hell, at some point, we should all invest in Traxxas stock. But it's just one of those things where, as an industry, the racing side of it, you know, which is not Traxxas now, is not doing those things. And so, like, for example, I, I could change the world tomorrow, you know, with my Infinity Gauntlet, that I would basically sit there and say, here's stock. Stock's 21.5, it's spec speed controller, the car's got to be stock, and you're not going to have any sponsors of any kind. Zero. Not a 5% sponsor, not a high five sponsor, not a discount on anything. And basically, all that stuff would have to get sold through you know, individual dealers and stuff like that. And the vendors, the manufacturers couldn't sell it direct. It would have to go through regular distribution channels because that would then support the dealership networks, which is obviously where most of the tracks are. No tracks, no dealers, no racing, no race cars. Unfortunately, we're headed down this way. I mean, I've owned a track. I'm out of it now, obviously, but it's one of those things where the online sales are fantastic. But there's certain things, for example, to get those people in a hobby, you just can't replace a hobby shop with. Oh, how, mm-hmm. Help me wire up my speed controller. We'll try getting Amazon on that. <laughs> Let me know how that works out. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. We, we laugh, we joke about it, right? But says the guy with the soldering video on his YouTube channel. But it's one of those things where <laughs> you, you can't replace the face-to-face customer interaction. You yeah. just can't. You know, how many people buy their iPhones online? I'd say most of them probably walk in the store. Yeah, I could be completely ignorant of the fact that I'm talking like that. But it's just... You know, owning a hobby shop, having been that guy on the other side of that counter and asking you know, for those people asking you to help. So it's very frustrating, kind of a tongue-in-cheek moment when you know they bought it at AMA. Yeah, yeah. And so that, but at the same time as the manufacturers, we have control over that to an extent. Don't get me wrong, I love AMA. I, I buy stuff there. I, I even, you know, consult for that company at some point. But it's one of those things where the, I think they would agree with this as well, that without the dealers, we don't have it. It doesn't exist. Yeah. The customers are going to go somewhere, but without the tracks to race these cars, a lot of the racing companies are just going to go away. And that's just painful to watch. I mean, it, it, it's going to have to take a shot in the arm somehow. You know, right now, basically, you can sit there and go, Losi Associated, Yokomo, and Kyosho all have ready-to-run buggies that would fit this platform right now. Right now, they could do it. Now, granted, they might be a platform or a generation behind or two, but give these guys a year or two and just propose this now and say, here... By the end of 2019, here's the classes we want to hit. Mm-hmm. And they can either choose to hit it or choose not to hit it. But most of them, I'd say the majority of them, can probably put a car together that might hit that 289 or that 299 price point. Knowing that they're, they're going to retain that customer, so when that customer gets bored of box stock and looks to go upgrade to super stock, that they're going to sell them the hop up as upgrades for the, for the other car anyways. right? So I'm not really trying to price anybody out of the industry or, or do anything different. Those things already exist. So it's just, can you get them there? So then, same thing with the motors. Manufacturers, like, of course, Tekken. And then here's the numbers that we have to spec. Here's the dimensions that you have to meet. Here's the minimum resistance. And here's the map pricing. You can either choose to get into it or you can't. Mm-hmm. But you still have to produce it. 
Same with the speed controllers. I mean, we all, almost all the manufacturers right now offer an inexpensive entry-level spec speed controller. Yep. So that's our, our, again, just to make sure that it's mapped out. What's nice is that you can literally have the customers pick and choose whatever they want to build. So I'm going to go for an associated buggy. Maybe I'll go for a Tekken Speedo, but then I'll go for a Trinity motor. All of them in the map price, all of them, whatever they want to do. And here's the other caveat to that. You can always spec it even down to the chargers. They have spe- a, a box stock racer is not allowed to have anything over an 80-watt charger on his table. At 80 watts, they can only charge a 2S shorty battery on average up to 8 amps. That's it. No discharging, no crazy, ridiculous charge rates, nothing. So if you're in the box stock class, pick your favorite 80-watt or under charger. Damn, my charger that I currently own wouldn't even qualify for that. What do you own now? I just have one of the ProTech, like, dual chargers. That was that, but that's the thing. Like again, how much was that charger? Uh, how much was it? I think it was like one forty nine when I got it. I've had it for years. Right. So if you can right now, I think the char- Protex had a couple of different chargers, but the touchscreen charger I think is eighty nine bucks. Yeah. Eight amps touchscreen, nice display, nice controlled AC DC package. Comes with the right leads for most for it for two S batteries, and you're done. But that's the point of the charge rate too. Is that not only does the charge rate keep it where it's at. You know, you're going to be running an, a, an affordable charger. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be running box stock. I mean, if you can, buy another charger. Bad, you're cheating. But it's one of those things where <laughs> the, the, the car, and that's the whole point. It, it would level the playing field. Yeah. Because then can you imagine you being in a race and like, oh, I'm running box stock. And the guy's like, but your charger can charge 12 amps. And you're going to say, well, I'm not going to. And, and then now you've got this animosity that, oh, he's probably doing it when no one's looking. Yeah, I hear you what know? you're saying. And so- that's the point to bring new racers into this. We kind of need this you know, 750 and below package where they can literally invest in 750 is a lot of money for most people. Friggin' right it is. But, but that's the point. They're literally starting from scratch and they can get into it for 750 and they're competitive. Associated a fantastic job with their club race kids. Yes. That, that's exactly what I'm talking about. They did. So for they example, did. That, that whole combination alone, car, motor, speed controller in the box, it would still get most likely qualify under those rules because you would allow them to cumulatively add map pricing. So what's stopping Losi from packaging that up with some electronics or Kyosho packaging up some electronics or, you know, Serpent or all the other car manufacturers, they all could do those things. Oh my goodness. How do, okay. So who do, how, how can we push for this? Is there something as, as RC hobbyists, and I'm talking about the general listening audience at this point, what can we do as a larger group if we believe in this structure and this idea to try and aid it to happen? Because to me, like, dude, I'm sorry. You should be paid probably way more money than you make. Like, thank you. <laughs> that, I'm sorry. Like, that. that's that's the most let, sense let in the world <laughs> anybody's ever made of it uh, of stock racing for me is putting the 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 pricing on it and and the limits and, and everything like that. Because I I've always been a firm believer of stock class should be run what's in that box. Like, if the company you're running, TLR, Yokomo. Uh, associated, you know, Kyosho, if they make a spec car, you know, a stock car that comes with lighter parts and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, you can run that car, but that's it. No, you know, it, I, I love that idea, but to go as far as you with the, the but, oh my goodness, poof. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what we'll do, since this podcast is being recorded right now, I'll, I'll get it done this weekend. We'll, I will put up the rules on my idea of what a box stock class is. And okay. I'll, just, I'll, I'll try to do the best job I can, <laughs> and I will let you share them on your podcast Facebook page, and we'll see what kind of social media traction that post gets, how many shares, how many likes. And let's put it up there for two weeks. And if it gets to be completely ridiculous, I will try to refine those rules. I will post them on my website 
and offer them to any sanctioning body that wants to pull the trigger and go that route. Oh, man. I like it. That means I'm going to be... do it for free. Fair warning, everybody. I'm going to be overly active on Facebook for the next two weeks. I am going to assault every Facebook RC group I'm in and share the crap out of this, so I apologize in advance, and if you ban me, I totally understand. (laughs) Yeah, they'll be the ones left behind. (laughs) So... Wow, one little question turned into like one of the greatest subjects to cover. Oh my goodness. Like I had never even written something like that down so that like we could end right now and I'd totally be satisfied with it. It'd be great. But yeah, well, then all the listeners are gonna be pissed. Yeah, I know. They keep asking questions. And all they're gonna hear is my initial rat and like a mic drop moment, which yeah. is horrible. It's horrible. Whoa, what just happened? Like <laughs> I've been chewing on some stuff as you can't tell. Yeah, no. Annoyed. I've been left to my own devices for the past couple of weeks. My wife's been out of town visiting family, so I'm just stewing on all of this stuff with full bitterness and rage. But Yeah, well, that, that was kind of one of the things that I had put in my notes was, where has the Randy Pike been? Because you have been kind of absent for a little while. I, I have taken a step back from social media um, to an extent. I kind of watch it, but I've had far, far posters shared. Mm-hmm. Um, I've obviously been doing some testing for Teak, and that's pretty much stuff I don't. I have been kind of bowing out of as far as posting on what I'm testing because it's kind of hard to post a picture and then not exactly be sure what we're doing as far as like when that product's going to come out. <laughs> uh, just because we're, we're waiting like everyone else for like specific rule changes, for example. But um, a lot of people might not know too, though. I've actually recently uh, taken a contracting job with the Tesla. So I live in Sparks, Nevada. And so I actually work a couple days over at the Tesla plant. So they've got me working over there a little bit. So Jim's encouraged me to kind of see how that rabbit hole looks. Jim, the owner of Tekken, and uh, just he thinks it's very interesting and, and and trying to let me, you know, see what else I can do outside of the RC industry right now. Um, and that's that's kind of nice, just because it's the different. It's a total different area of what I'm working on over there. It's much more mechanical, electrical versus just electronics. So it's kind of cool for me. I've been then in the auto industry in about 10 or 15 years. So it's kind of nice to go back to it in some. This conversation is flowing so well. Like I'm basically going to have to ask you like two questions more and we're going to be able to wrap this whole show up. I'm not kidding. Cause you're, you're just flowing through. Cause I kind of just wanted to remind everybody, you know, you've been the team manager for, for Tekken for forever, but years. you left, you were a mechanic, but you weren't like just, you know, average Joe mechanic at a dealership. You were, like, legit, legit. Because didn't you work on, like, Vipers and stuff like that at, a, at Dodge? Yeah. yeah, no, I I mean, I don't get wrong. I started as a regular mechanic, but then uh, I embraced computers and the electronics and, you know, hooking up laptops to cars long before that they were really doing it at that level, and, and I kind of just self-learned a bunch of stuff. And um, it got to the point where, yeah, I was working on Vipers and SRT project cars, and Chrysler would send me cars that the other technicians throughout the zone, which is multiple states, were struggling to fix or basically got to the point where they couldn't fix the car and it was bought back. And then I was asked to, you know, dig into it and actually determine what was really wrong. Um, I had a laptop that would record like keystrokes and eye movement when I would use certain softwares. Um, we would rewrite, you know, what's called flight recording templates. So the, the you might have a customer who's got some most ridiculous random thing that might happen once a month. And they're frustrated, you're frustrated, and you can't really figure out what it is. And let's say it's just a, a slight chug or a hesitation. Mm-hmm. You can put a flight recorder in their car, so when it happens, they just hit a button. You get a couple minutes before it happens and a couple minutes afterwards. And so mm-hmm. I would rewrite those templates just because, as engineers typically do, they'll overcomplicate something. When it gets down to the mechanic level, they don't need 500 streams of data. They need, like, 50. 
right. actually helped fix the car. So I did a lot of that work as well, which is kind of how I got the job at Tekken. You know, and again, for those who haven't learned or heard or, heard or know the story, I, I was a mechanic then doing that stuff for Chrysler. Um, met Jim and Sherry at a trade show because I owned a hobby shop at the time as well as working on the cars. And um, it kind of hit it off. Uh, I'm, if you've never met me, I'm just for the record, I'm kind of blunt and raw. It's just the way I live life. And But I just, like it. It's not everyone's cup of no, tea. No, definitely not. <laughs> right. Definitely, definitely not. not. So, but I mean, that's how I met them. And um, he ended up calling me a couple months later. And this is back in the brush days. And they were going to be in town. So long story short, we talked a couple of things. I helped tune some motors for his kid's car at the a race at Speed World Raceway. And uh, just kind of talked more and more often. And then basically their old team manager wasn't really cutting the butter and offered me a position to do that on the side and then the rest is history because basically the auto industry took a dive in 2006 mm -hmm. and so i took a you know a little bit of a, a pay cut obviously to go work in the rc market but obviously it was something i'd always dreamed of doing and so jim gave me that opportunity and i guess to say the rest is history yeah. so yeah 12 years later look at that yeah that's cool no I, yeah. I love that story like i know you've you've said it a few times on the show but i i just love it it's 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 a cool progression and, and it's, you know, the doing what you'd like to be doing and getting paid to do it. You know what I mean? That, that, that whole scenario. I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a hit at first when I first did it and talked to my wife about it. She agreed that it was probably good for my mental health at the time and financially we were okay money wise because I was pretty good at what I did when I worked on cars and, um, it progressed, and then I started working for other sponsors and a couple other things, and and uh, like now I do some stuff for Protex. So I kind of help manage. I don't say manage their team necessarily directly, but I kind of just make sure everyone's got what they need and make sure that the drivers are aware of what products they have and what they need to be running, and and kind of help with that sense. And then, um, you know, I also have a consulting company. We do consult for a couple other things, doing like e-commerce or little websites for those guys. And so I kind of have my hands on a little bit of everything, just because of what it was. And then I worked the factory RC car, uh, factory RC car, factory RC guys. They make a lot of carbon fiber parts for a lot of the manufacturers. And so I helped do a lot of testing for them and, and just make sure that the products are, are actually going to be beneficial over a stock part. For example, they're not just cool looking. They're actually better than the stock pieces. So I do a lot of that as well. I love all my factory RC stuff. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it it's works great. Out pretty well. Are you it, kidding me? My my friggin' YZ4 SF was so friggin' fast after I put the uh, that slippery eliminator. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that was a cool piece, man. I, I helped kind of design and develop that part a little bit, and it took a few tries. I won't lie. Um, if you haven't taken a look at that, it's it's the only lockout right now on the market for the YZ4 SF, to the best of my knowledge. And on top of that, it's made out of complete carbon fiber pieces. So it's a couple of different sandwich plates together to mm -hmm. lock up the clutch and then lock up the shaft and and I used it at the April Fool's uh, race in, uh, back in April at IRCR. And, and I could, I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't an advantage because there was multiple guys there with Yokomo cars, multiple other sponsored Yokomo drivers, including myself, and my car was literally faster. It, it, don't even remember the horsepower helps. The Tekken horsepower that I had was helped. So yeah, yeah. About that motor as well, if you remember it. But it, it, the lockout was no joke. I mean, my car would wheelie with a 13.5 if I wasn't careful. Uh, and that was even the other Yokomo guys were like, why is your car doing that? And I'm like, you can try this lockout. And I happened to bring a couple of them and I gave them to those guys and I bet they regret not putting them in. Yeah. It was a clear difference on the track. Oh, yeah. well, because I had uh, a bunch of like shell slippers and Avid slippers in my mm -hmm. in my box because I ran them on my B5M and stuff like that. 
And that was my big key I was missing for the 13.5 class was was a, a, a gear that, that gave me a good ratio, right? Like, the car was okay, but it could have been way better. And I, once I found the gearing for oh, my goodness. Yeah, the car and, was and, an and, animal. Right, and I tested the car to see what you did and see what everyone did for the longest time, which was the stock spur gear. And, and not only was the, the gear, and you could get it there, but the motor was so far off to the center of the car that, that it was just really sluggish. Yes, I mean, when you're able to run a 72 or a 75 Spurger, when I run the 75, it's one of those things where that motor's literally moved over about three and a half millimeters. Yeah, it's and huge. That, that doesn't seem like a lot, but considering the motor is the second heaviest thing in the car, then yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it but, did. And that was, I honestly think that was the difference, not only the, the instant power, but the April Fool's track had this ridiculous chicane, and ridiculous by I mean, like, in, in a ridiculous in a good way, where you literally had to have a pair of stones to, to to run through that thing with, with full power. Oh, okay. I mean, the mod guys, the mod guys would clip this and put it in respect. They would clip it and basically barrel roll to the following wall about 35 <laughs> feet away. Oh, my goodness. You know, and if they were lucky, they could recover and, like, land in the other jump section. But, like, it was aggressive. Like, I I, I would wiggle the wheel because I wasn't that brave most of the time. But yeah. <laughs> if you get it just right, you could just squeeze straight You could thread it. it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was three or four inches on each side of the car if you did it. I think I think everybody's awesome. done that once or twice where they've attempted it and made it and went, okay, I'm not doing that no more. I made it once. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah exactly. It's, yeah, you, yeah, everyone tapped it right. So, you always tap. You're like, oop, next lap. I'm being a little more careful. A little yeah. wiggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. But it, it's out of the only things I bolted to that car when I, I showed up to that race. I hadn't raced since IOC. So to put that in perspective, that was three, four months. Yeah, five months. Oh, geez, five yeah. Five months. Yeah. I raced for five months on a legit track as far as, like, racing. I'd done testing. I'd done some driving, but obviously those are two different driving styles mm-hmm. and nef- definitely different mental capacity. And I showed up. I got up to the track a little bit late. I showed up Thursday evening with brand-new cars. So brand-new DTM2, brand-new YZ4 uh, SF. Had never driven them on the track, on a dirt track, ever. Mm-hmm. And I put on uh, – <laughs> I called Jake Thayer just to make sure I had his latest setup, and uh, I got that on there, and that's how I started. Um, and then the same with the DTM setup is pretty much where I started because the tracks were on similar tires. And um, I basically had five minutes on the track that evening and uh, came to the next track and started making small adjustments through qualifying. And I missed, in four-wheel 13.5, I missed overall TQ. I think I had one or two seconds, on depending on each round. And I had the last round, and by, I think, um, lost it at the last, very last qualifying Northrop. Uh, who works at the track and, and definitely a good driver, also running a Yokomo, uh, beat me out by like, I think it was like three or four hundredths of a second on the overall. So I missed a qualified TQ for that round by that, but it was, it, the cars are so good. And then with little things like, again, the factory lockout like that, that's, it's a substantial car. And never mind and just, the weight savings, uh, rotational weight off of the drivetrain. Like, it's, it's cheating. It's, it's flat out cheating. <laughs> Compared to the stock, you know, multi disc, and even the guys. I saw a couple guys like take the DT, the white, the two wheel drive slipper plates and run a bunch of spacers. Yeah. It's still way more. I mean, again, you can't, you can't get the gearing correctly with the stock spur. And I, I think Yokomo kind of made a mistake with that, which is they only came out with the 87. They really should have come out with a minimum of an 81. If not like a 78, that would have been a little bit better to do. But yeah, it, it's, it's just one of those things where you just can't quite get it. But moving the motor inwards, Locking out the clutch, stripping out the weight of the drivetrain, that car's a rocket. It, it really is, and that's cool. They just released aluminum center dog bones for that car too. <gasps> those are more fun bits to get out. Oh, I'm gonna have to pick those up. Yeah, no, like 
so the last time I ran my YZ4SF, well, I shouldn't say the last time, but the last time it was like on the track and I was racing it, um, I'd finally found the gearing and believe it or not, I had had to fix, uh, of course I'm the only Yokomo guy really. And I have to kind of carry my own parts or if I'm racing at the one track, the, the local hobby shop, he tries to stock parts, but of course he didn't have the one part I needed. I actually broke the, um, where the turnbuckle mounts to the knuckle on the outside of the, the one side. On the rear or the front? The front. Yeah. Yep. So I hadn't bought the aluminum ones yet because I was being cheap. And I tended, I run the cars the way they come in the box until I break things. And then I start replacing with aluminum. Sure. If, if I feel that it's a worth, you know what I mean? An advantage to do it. Yeah. So in this case, I just didn't want to have the failure again. So I put the aluminum ones on it now, but I'd actually, because it was a two day race, we had finished qualifying and the mains were going to start the next day and I'd broke it like the end of the qualifier. So I'm like, okay, well I'll try and glue it and see if the glue will hold. And then as I finished gluing it and just putting a small little set of vice grips on it, my buddy comes up and he goes, I got JB Weld if you want it. And I looked at him like, oh my goodness, you're my lifesaver. So I, I went to town. I filled in the screw hole as much as I could with JB Weld all around it, smoothed it all out so it was nice, nice. And uh, came back the next day, put the car together, ran a couple test laps. It held. I ended up running a, now everybody says because of the short lap, We'll see, but I ran a 17.511 in my B main, which bumped me to the A main, but I ended up breaking it in the four-wheel drive mod heat main. <laughs> so oh. I didn't get to run the A main, but the actual TQ, what, what I thought was awesome is, like, I'm an average racer. I'm not the greatest, and I'm the first one to tell you that. I'm not. I'm good, but, like, he ran, uh, I think it was, like, a 17, what was it? Hang on, let me find it, the right one here. It was my good buddy Frank Hansen. You ran a 17.512 as a TQ pace, and I ran a 17.511. Nice. Yeah, so I was happy with that because that says to me that when I'm consistent, this car is just a rocket ship. I love my four-wheel drive buggy, and I'm so happy yeah. I went with Yokomo cars. Like, just ecstatic about it. Just No, know. I, 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 like I said, I, I ran the YZ4, the Bell car. It wasn't, it was, it was an okay car, but there are a lot of issues that, it definitely worked the greatest. And then I had the old BMAX 3, you know, world's car, the shaft car. And then 13.5 four-wheel drive, there's just simply no replacing the shaft. I mean, I, I, my hat is off to every low-C driver, carving, cutting, milling, that 22.4 car up to run 13.5. And those are the ones that do it, that thing's a gazelle. There's something about that car jumping-wise that the 22.4 is just an animal. But in 13.5, it's just a little bit off. And I mean, again, you watch the pros in it, and they did an admirable job. And I'm just, just the efficiency of the shaft drive, the mm -hmm. directness of it is just a, it's just a next level car. I mean, the, the, the YZ4SF is probably the best out of the box car that I've ever driven, hands down. Monkey's Dead shows over. Like everything about the car just fits, it works, it drops right in. And granted, I did, you know, add some stuff to mine, but I didn't have to. I could have ran the car completely stock the way that it was. Yeah. And still done just as well with it, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that I was able to put another driver's setup on it, and I think I made less than four changes to that car the entire rounds through qualifying, which essentially was my track time. I think I lowered the front spindles just a tick. I think I put on a slightly lighter front bar because I wanted a little bit more steering, probably through that chicane section. And I think I changed one rear spring and a ball stud in the rear. That's all I did to that car the whole weekend. Wow. And it just got better and better and better as the grip came up. Yeah, I've got a hybrid setup on mine between two of them that I modified and changed a couple of things. I got to actually write it down because it worked out really, really well. But 
the story of my, like, the reason why I, I wasn't actually originally going with the YZ4SF. Originally, I wanted the Techno. Mm-hmm. And when that whole fiasco happened with Hobbyco not getting their supply, so a bunch of, you know, local hobby shops didn't, because that's how I buy my kits. I buy them from the local hobby shop. Cool. So they didn't get the, their order. And so I said, well, cancel it then. And I want the Yokomo YZ4SF. So I was waiting for it. And I actually won in a draw B64. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. well, I've got like two races before my Yokomo shows up. So I'll build the B64 and I'll run it and see see which one I like more and then decide what I'm going to do. Um, the 64 definitely was an upgrade from the 443, but I think. I wasn't at all prepared for how much better of a car it was, so it, the setup was horrible on it. Mm-hmm. And then the Yokomo came in, so I sold it to my buddy, Norm, who runs All Associated, and he wanted the 6.4 to replace his 4.3, and I said, here, you you can have that one. <laughs> nice. So, uh, so I, But I'm, like you said, it's, yeah, like night and day difference. Like, I built two buggies, four-wheel drive buggies, fairly close back-to-back. And then ran them back to back in the the Yokomo. Like I did a lot of the same things on the Yokomo setup wise that I did on the six four, and the car was just better. And that's not me blowing it up. But that brings me to this question: Do you think Yokomo is like catching on a little bit more in North America, or is it just me because I like Yokomo cars? No, they're definitely catching on. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've got the new team manager Joe Pillars. He's obviously very active online and social media and stuff like that. They did a good job of picking. Some good T drivers, obviously. There's Mayfield. You know, if, you're, if you want to get your car out in the middle of, you know, the, everyone's eyes, you definitely put it on the top of the podium. You really can't argue with that. I mean, the guy's a double world champion with brand new cars, for sure. Brand new team for him, and and obviously you've got guys like um, uh, Lee that run the car. He's working with Shin, which is probably one of the best engineers I've been around as far as helping get stuff done on the car. And what Yokomo's doing, I think, a little bit better than than some right now, um, is that they're they're actively, you know, making the car better. You know, if Mayfield finds something on the car that he doesn't like and he's able to, you know, make his own parts or come up with something and prove on the track that it's legit, Yokomo stops, makes changes, and starts coming out with new parts. I mean, look at the drive shaft and the hub angles and stuff like that from the DTM to the DTM2. Little simple things like that, you know, where the CVD pins are in the wrong orientation. Mayfield caught it. You know, that is one of those things where the little tiny things that add up to big things on the track is amazing. So that, that's, you know, what Shin's job is doing basically is they're always trying new stuff. You, know, you saw them post up some funny pictures of the you know, body mounts that was here for a stadium truck. You know, we all know Mayfield was running a stadium truck at the last race he was at. And obviously, you know, that was by Yokomo based. We've seen kits come out with them Yokomo based, but obviously, you know, Yokomo is not stupid in a sense. You know, they're trying to attack some classes that are very U.S. ish as far mm-hmm. as like stadium truck goes. I mean, I, I, it, it's great to see pick up across you know Europe and you know X-ray has got their car and there's a couple other you know manufacturers coming out with them, but. It's one of those things where, for a lot of people, the two-wheel drive buggy class and the four-wheel drive buggy class, while the most popular by far, they're so drastically different in their driving style. Yes. That it's much much easier for someone to go from a two-wheel drive buggy to a two-wheel drive stadium truck because it has a similar driving feel. It's just a little bit more lumbrous and a little bit more grip because the tires are bigger and they're wider stance and stuff like that versus handing someone a two-wheel drive car and even going to a four-wheel drive 13-5 car. I mean, the, the, the speed's not the same. It's just not. It's just not. You know, it's it's so much different of a driving style. It's more of a grip and rip, and you can do things with four-wheel drive you just can't do with anything two-wheel drive. Yeah. So I've seen I, – I used to race a lot of two-wheel drive bucking in stadium truck, and stadium truck are more popular. It's just easier to do. It's easier to transition to, and especially on a carpet a carpet track. Yeah. You know, now with these trucks, a lot more geared towards being able to be tuned to a carpet 
A two stadium truck on carpet is actually hilarious. I mean, I got to run a little bit of an IOC with a heavily modified associate truck I had back then. It was definitely not up to par with like the X-rays and stuff. But, yep. Um, it, it's it, it was fun nonetheless because it's just hilarious to watch a stadium truck rail around something that fast and not like flip over a thousand times. You're like it shouldn't do that, but there it is, and it goes again, and it's 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 fun. I mean, two wheel drive, in my opinion, is more fun to drive than four wheel drive is on carpet. For in my opinion, uh, don't get me wrong, four wheel drive on carpet's a blast, but I think two wheel drive, it, it just takes a little bit more finesse. And four wheel drives, you have to have them so. So set up so well that they they are literally on the edge of just jump kicking off themselves off the track, and you're on the edge of overgrip all the time. It, it feels all like to me they're like pan cars on steroids. Yeah, yeah, that jump I analogy for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and with the full drive, it's 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 so edgy to get it to where it's fast. I mean, especially the modified guys. You know, Thirteen <laughs> five, you're okay, but when you go to warp speed. Yeah, you know, I know. And they're running, you know, five O's and stuff on this turf track, and you can literally hear the car just clawing at the carpet. <laughs> and and they are literally on the edge of just flying off the track. It makes, and it's not fun. It makes you wonder how the cars even survive it. <laughs> yeah, like it's that violent that sound. Yeah, yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. No, it's hilarious. It, it is an interesting sound. It, like you said, it is very violent. It's just like, oh God, you know, that's it's obnoxious. Yeah, I, I think it's hilarious as far as the sound. It is amazing to see what the cars can do. But I think on a, on a like especially the Ozite carpet that we raced at IOC at the Scotty's event on, yep. on the J Concepts tires, the black carpet, the two wheel drives by far were more fun to drive. Yeah, four yeah. drives fun. Don't get me wrong, but you could see the modified guys just literally on the edge of every turn, everything on speed, and it was like you said, it was very violent. When the cars crash, it's spectacular. <laughs> I mean, it's it's busted shock shafts, bent shock shafts, yep, shock bodies, yep. shock Check. towers, Check. big rip in the carpet, Check. you know, arms, caster blocks, the whole nine. That's you all the racing off. that I love to do. Yeah, you cleaned it off. You did a good job. Yard yeah. sale. Yeah, yeah exactly. But that's that's it, usually it, what again, I say when it happens. There's the yard sale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's like two wheel drive. Seeing a truck on carpet will be a good a good balance for most people if they run on AstroTurf or carpet. It'll be very similar to their two wheel drive buggy. I think it's a little bit easier. It's also more affordable. I mean, when you break off an arm, it's not a big deal. You break off an arm, bit of CBD, you know, maybe a front shock tower and a shock shaft on your four-wheel. Now you're looking at 80 to to 100 bucks. Yeah, it's not cheap when you break the front end of them. Yeah. Been and there, so, done that. Haven't we all? Multiple times. But yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, Huge tangents. Yeah, well, hey, that's... I'm totally okay with it because it's it's information and it's I, I love hearing your opinion on stuff. I'm not gonna lie, I really do. But let's get into actually some questions I have. Um, I'm currently building my spec my my drag car to run 100 mile an hour and 132 feet. So I'm gonna put a three and a half turn in it, and I'm hoping that you don't tell me I can't do this. Uh, I'm gonna use my RS Pro Black Edition, but I'm gonna put a a, a hell of a cat pack on it. That's built for what I'm trying to do with it. What battery? Uh, it'll be running a two cell for a 250 shorty. Uh, it'll be fine. Okay. I yeah, figured as much. Okay. Like I'm it's because of the time. I mean, drag. That's one of the reasons why we also we we released the RS Pros. Was the drag racing guys love those things? Yes. I mean, you can still if you had a new and packaged regular old first generation RS Pro. I think they were going for near new money. Yes. You know, in in recently. some cases more. Like there were some I've seen some sell on eBay for three hundred fifty dollars plus yeah. before the there new ones go. came out. Yeah, I should have dropped a bunch of those on the market before I put the new ones. But <laughs> <laughs> all joking aside, but 
The RS Pro is, it, we brought it back for a couple of reasons, but one of them was drag racing, but for the rest of the, the world, spec racing, it has the lowest honor resistance of any speed control mm -hmm. on the market, by like a country mile, they're just not even close. I mean, and it's because we have a grip of FETs in there's 48 FETs in an RS Pro Black Edition. I mean, that's double, if not triple, what some other controllers have, if not quadruple. And so you can't get the honor resistance down without having that kind of a FET package. But for, for drag racing, it handles well over a thousand amps. It handles more amps than our RX-8 8-scale controller does. Holy shit. Now, granted, the problem with that is when you're throwing around that kind of amp, which goes for a thousand amps, it's one zero 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 amps. That you know, that's that will blow my well, the battery. It'll blow wires right off the car. I mean, if you're not careful, you do something stupid. The, the controller is going to be fine. Everything else is going to be a catastrophic failure. But the three and a half turn load-wise, well under the four hundred eighty amps per phase that the RS Pro can handle. Well under it. Okay. And the the, the question is really the battery. The batteries are the good ones. So you're going to have to, for example, in drag racing, you should be turning off your voltage cutoff, turn it off completely. Um, that way the controller doesn't try to override that. Yeah. And then the biggest factor with the three and a half turn is balancing the low end acceleration that you kind of want from motor as far as the torque goes. So you're going to run, and my, and my suggestion would be slightly lower can timing than you would think, maybe somewhere around 10, but then increase the boost in a, in a very quick fashion. So if you were to like get an idea what your gearing was, put the can timing down to like say 15 degrees and do three launches where I can see the data logger. Yeah. I could tell you when to start initiating your boost and when to have it completely in the car based off the run. The best part is I'm not even going to have to bring it out to do that. I'm, I'm building a dyno like my good buddy Tim has. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately for me, he's in California. I'm in Canada. We're on opposite coasts. I want to be able to dyno my car on the bench so I can try and dynoing it the way Tim does it is like making test hits. And, and for me to learn, like last year I ran probably about 40 hits in total the entire summer that I got out to run. And I learned a ton from it. So I'm thinking if I can do, you know, five, ten hits a weekend here or there when I have time or throughout the week, you know, when I come down, I can burn a couple, you know, work on a good setup that works. That, then I learn more that way. Because don't get me wrong, Tim can turn around and say to me, put this in it. You might have to make some small adjustments, but this will get you there. But what did I learn, right? Like, I want to start learning it. So, mm -hmm. I, but I like that idea. I, I, and that actually brings me to another question that, that somebody, I was having a conversation with somebody when we were talking about data logging, um, because believe it or not, when we were doing speed runs with me and my chum, Mike, we, uh, we picked up an Eagle tree. So we have an Eagle tree that has all the sensors and everything you need. Mm -hmm. But um, the, we were talking, I was talking to the person about, just like having that. And I said, well, the Tekken ESCs have data logging in it. Do you think that data would be good? And then the question was posed, well, how accurate is it? And I'm like, well, it's got to be accurate. Otherwise, they wouldn't really include it, I would think. Sure. <laughs> so like, yeah, is, there, I mean, is there a level of accuracy that if somebody's wondering out there how accurate it is? Oh, it's accurate for sure. I mean, we're grabbing just like the Eagle Tree would at some point. The, the, I think the, the question that your buddy might have been asking or trying to ask and maybe just didn't quite understand what he was actually trying to genuinely get was you, you want to get the sample rate. The sample rate. So that the faster your sample rate is, the more accurate you're going to get. It's not so much that you're, you're going to miss numbers. But say, for example, it works in the same way a voltmeter does, right? So a voltmeter measures voltage, and if that voltage is moving around, it starts to average. Mm -hmm. So if I uh, the fastest sample rate in ours is 10 milliseconds, so 10 samples per second, right? 
Now, if I could increase that to 30 samples per second, obviously that's going to be more accurate. I will catch more of the highs and more of the lows okay. on all that. Right. All that as far, and that would just give me more resolution. But as far as like for drag racing or just RC racing in general, it's more than sufficient to be accurate for that stuff. I mean, I've shown guys crappy batteries, fans that are drawing too much voltage for the car over so many minutes just being on, let alone driving the car. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's amazing what you can see on a data log. It really is. Has there ever been any thought to like do like a, like I know sometimes you'll do like Facebook kind of like lessons on stuff. Has there ever been a thought to maybe try and do that to show people how to read a data log for those that don't know, don't get it? Um, a couple of years back when data logging first came out, I actually did a, an in-person how-to clinic and it was streamed online via A-Main's conference room. So we did this back up in Chico, California, and I was able to actually had, I think there was 15, 20 people in the room, in the conference room, asking me questions. And I was, and I was also streaming that while sharing my laptop screen to show them what I was actually showing them on the data logs in person. Um, that's still on the Tekken YouTube channel. Um, sure. It might be somewhat hard to watch um, just because it is kind of obviously you're seeing me from a, a conference camera looking up at me. Um, but it has a lot of good information on there. And then there's been other ones done based off of settings, but I could probably go in more in depth with one now if I had a better idea about what the customers were genuinely looking to learn. Mm -hmm. I went into the basics of like, here's what better acceleration looks like and how to change your gearing. I went into, you know, bad batteries, for example, on that, that one YouTube video. So I suppose if people want to go to our YouTube channel for the Tekken YouTube channel, find that video, watch it. And if they want to add some comments to it, I can make a V2. And that would probably be the best way to do that. that I like way that. Can ask their questions and I can start kind of, culminating those and then come out with like a, a new maybe it's the, the next level data log class okay. so so the better question is does it need to be multiple people with questions or if it's one person with lots of questions does that classify i, I would take i suppose i would take it either way because ultimately <laughs> what we could do is you know post up a poll if it gets to where it's completely crazy and then basically say hey here's the you know vote for your favorite questions and we'll start here and then we can just make it a series if it gets that crazy i mean i'm happy to support the series because it's definitely one of the things that our controller over the top of many others, which is we're giving you a tool that literally don't see in this kind of racing more often than not. I mean, there's lots of controllers that might grab the highest voltage or the highest average RPM, but none of them are giving you where you can sit, look at the, lap, the, the laptop or your tablet or whatever you're displaying the data logger on, and you can literally look at the track on the data logger. I can tell you here's a straightaway, and looking at the rest of the throttle inputs, tell you what you're doing on the rest of the track. And if I compare you to another driver, I can say, well, this driver's got more on time on the straightaway. He's at full throttle longer than you are. So, yes, that's why he's faster at the end of the straightaway. Oh, he's already kinda, on the gas. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and we've done that with the, at the IIC races where the track is so consistent and you're dealing with, you know, arguably 50 of the best drivers in the nation. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at half a dozen of those guys' as cars. If not, when we used to do this GT class, I would look at over three dozen cars every run. Wow. I would have 36 people coming to our. Tekken booth, and I would personally look at their data logs and give them suggestions on either car setup, gearing, take the cooling fan out, your battery looks like garbage, whatever that was wrong with their car. Because that car, that class was so regulated that literally 150 RPMs would separate the A main to the C main. Holy. Wow. Yeah. Because the gearing <laughs> was topped out. Like that was the spec a spec could get. And I actually got to the point where I was, I asked, Scotty had asked me to top the top three cars in the A main after they won. And there was a difference of the top RPM on the straightaway. There was only a difference of 35 RPMs. Wow. 
between <laughs> the top three guys. That's how close they were. Jeez. For just having that car wrapped out. And, and they, they, their average lap times were separated by thousands of a second. It was amazing to watch. I love that. Oh, man. See, that's <laughs> what I got to learn. Well, I got to learn more about... Here's what I can't... It's terrible. I can't wrap my head around gearing. Every time I think I understand it, I get confused. And I don't understand why, because it's actually something that I've legitimately tried to sit down and read and understand. And for whatever reason, I completely get confused every time. Well, you can't be the only one, so what's the actual question? What do you want to know about gearing? Well, just... I don't. I never know which way to go. Like I don't know if I'm right on my spur. I don't know if I'm right on my pinion. You know, a lot of times I go off suggestions of everybody else. You know what I mean? Like because the internet. Sure. Thank God for it. Otherwise, I'd have no idea where to start. So, like, okay. how do you judge where to start? Lap times. Oh. It's all about lap times. All joking aside, obviously you need to know a start a, a regular, average ballpark gearing. But so, for example, if I was watching you drive your car, I would be wanting to look at. How it accelerates off the corner. Does it jump? Does it look like it's sluggish? Does it look like it's really, really flat? Or, if, for example, at the straightaway, if your car is topping out, let's say, halfway down the straightaway, and I can see that it's kind of what's called hunting. It's tapped out, so it's slowly accelerating, but just basically because it's being free revved out mm-hmm. versus it's accelerating to the last corner. And there's a lot of times where the car might finish extremely quick, but it's so slow coming out of the hole that I've already passed you halfway down the straightaway and put a block pass on you, so you're screwed. Yeah, there's different ways to gear your car, but ultimately, when when you're looking for that, those extra couple of tenths, which is probably what you're probably looking for at this point, this level, not the basic gearing questions, but those last couple of tenths, like why is that guy's car just a little bit faster, four car lengths at the end of the straightaway? You know, why is that? You know, is he getting at the beginning? Is he getting at the end? Is he? Everyone wants to. Oh, he's got a better motor, but there's a lot of times where I can see guys' cars are just off a pinion or two. Yeah, I, I've talked. It's one of my most popular questions that I get on my Facebook page, which is, "Can you help me with my gearing?" Which is why we're, we're talking about it, right? So, I typically run a seventy-two tooth Springer in my Yokomo, which is a two-point-six trans car, right? So just like the Associated and just like the Kyosho. But yeah, so ideally than, that should almost work. The theory will be the same, correct? Yeah. On Associated and the other cars, the low C car is different. It's a a two forty-three, but the theory is still the same. Yeah, I run a seventy-two versus a sixty-nine because I like the bigger spur gear size of a 72 and here's why it means i get to have a slightly bigger pinion gear so if i ran 72 26 to get the same gear ratio with the 69 i'd have to run a 25 and i'm actually splitting them but that's the closest ratio right yeah yeah but the smaller your gears get the less contact patch you have on the gears now most people would say oh it's, it's less friction that might necessarily be true but if you do anything with gearing, in general, you always want the biggest gears you possibly can for more contact patch, right? Which they all say, oh, it's more friction, but ultimately it actually rolls better. It has less friction as it actually rolls. The momentum of the bigger gears carries more speed. Huh. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, a lot. So, <laughs> and like, you know, for example, let's look at our four-wheel drive 13 fives, right? We were running an 87 and like probably a 26 pinion. Yeah. I'm running 75-22, 75-20-FDR is actually really close. But I have, a, I'm, you know, I'm getting the smaller spur gear to get the, car, the motor into the car. That's a different issue, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say magically I could do them without moving the motor position at all. I would run the 8726. Because I'd have more teeth to do more rolling. It's less friction due to the, the, the momentum of the gears. Spinning at the same rate is smoother in theory. I can't remember what it's called, but 
that's that's something that they do in real racing, for example. They're trying to run the biggest gear ratio, physical gears they can to attain the gear ratio that they want. Yeah. They never they never want like a, a twenty tooth pinion and a and a seventy spur gear versus a thirty tooth pinion and an eighty spur gear. You'd always run the two bigger gears. Yeah. Okay. And that's one thing I that's one thing I see a lot of guys do. The other big mistake is at least for example with a Tekken Spec R. We're four to six pinions lower than a typical motor. And when I say by typical motors, I'd say a more traditionally stacked motor. Ones that run the bigger, you know, stacks, for like say for example, like the the Trinity motor's got a pretty typical stack design and it's not one of the new high revving 17.5s or 13.5s. Like ours is spec R is, the new Radi S plus is one of the higher revving ones, the Team Screams are one of the higher revving ones, versus like maybe an R1 or a Phantom or something. Well, maybe the older R1s, but anyways, if the gearing's if they run 6929, say a Trinity, you're going to run 7226 with a spec R, maybe 7225 even, because our motor revs differently. If theirs is KV is, you know, say 3000 KVs, ours is 4200. Yeah, yeah. So and more so, power in the RPM range. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a higher revving motor, so you've got to gear it lower to make sure that it's in the range it wants to be in. Yeah. And that's, and that's where I'm going with this gearing thing, which is. A lot of times, I'd say more often than not, people in spec class, and this is all spec classes, at, at the at the club level are overgeared because they, that's what they heard they needed to have. So what I tell everyone is, if you think that gearing's close, I want you to go down one pinion and go out there on the car and see if the lap times change. And if they do, which way do they go? And more often than not, they go down. Because sure, the car might be slightly down on top speed, but you're accelerating so much stronger off the corners that you're making up that time, that, that five car lengths on the end of the straightaway, you're making all that time up on the infield. Because let's be honest, 90% of the track is going to be an infield. Very, very rarely is even 10% of the straightaway. And so my next question would be is, where's the, where's the loop? Is it at the beginning of the straightaway or at the end of the straightaway? So, for example, if you were going down at the end of the corner, last corner, and you had taller gearing, and your butt, lower gearing, and your buddy had taller gearing, who's going to beat him to the line? You are. You have lower gearing. You're going to accelerate harder towards the end of the line. So if you can hold him off, you know, and not have him pass you on that last lap, and you're in front of him, you're going to ruin his day. Like, you're going to win the race as long as you don't, you know, pipe it. Yeah. There's a lot of times where I, I might give up three or four car lengths on the straightaway for three or four car lengths off of every corner on the end tour. Because so see, that, you, yeah, okay, right? I see where you're going, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think that's a lot of times where you guys get, the guys getting these motors way hotter than they really need to be. Uh, another option, right? My 13.5 four-wheel at the April Fool's race with a, just a 30-millimeter W2F fan, which is what pretty much every run, everyone runs in four-wheel, blowing on the back of the end zone. There's pictures on my website. You can look at the car. Literally, would come off at 135 degrees for a six-minute race. Most guys were coming off at 180, 190, blow up their motors trying to go that Oh, fast. my goodness. My motor, and I took pictures of it. I posted it online. You can tell me I'm a liar. That's fine. 135 degree K2, right off, as, as fast as I could get it out, 135 degrees. So was, I'd say call 145 because it's sitting tech for 20 seconds. Yeah. Once verified blinking, everything was good. So really close, though. And and, and look, the funny thing was, when I, people would ask me my gear, and they wouldn't believe it. No way. I was like, yeah, this is where it was at. So where Matt Olson was last year, anyone. Same gearing. <laughs> same different car, same gearing. You know, same FDR. Right, but I didn't right. have. I might not have had the fastest car down the straightaway, but I had the fastest car on the rest of the track by a lot. My car would, I could triple every lap, no problem. A lot of guys could only triple for the first minute or two because their battery voltage would drop down and their motor temp got hot. Mine, I could triple as long as there's no one in my way. If I could hit the line I wanted to hit, I could triple it and clear it by an extra four feet, no problem. Jeez, 
my car was undergeared compared to almost everyone's else on the track because that car had a lot of little short shoots and a lot of little 180s and stuff that you really had to accelerate hard on. The, the triple that I'm talking about, it was an, into an off-camber, paperclip left corner, basically, where most guys had to ride the outside of the berm to clear the triple. I could put my car on the inside of the pipe and still triple. Oof. And that wasn't, you know, granted, I had a grip power, but it was like, it's because of where my gearing was. That's, that, that's it. That, I mean, I geared it for that. And granted, the triple didn't make or break the race. Most of us triple single. But if I had to triple over traffic, at least I know I could pull the trigger and do it. Yeah. Because that did happen in A2, where I had to clear the track that was crashed underneath me. Because I was coming oh up to it. It was safe to triple over. Duke's a you hazard know, moment, down. anybody? <laughs> a little bit, for sure. But, like, the marshal, I knew that he saw me coming. So cool for, you know, high five to the marshal. But I could triple it over and not have to worry about, you know, do I have to go wide? Or am I going to worry about hitting one of your cars if it comes undone? I could just triple over the carnage, and I could do that, so it didn't really mess with me too much. But I often see cars over here. You know, you know, I've heard also said, well, if your if your motor's 140, you could gear it up and, and, and get it up to like 180, and it'll go faster. That's a crock. That's actually not accurate. But why? Because the lap times will show you that it's wrong. The try it. The only try time it. I'll throw more gear at my car is if it's coming off at like 105 or 110 because then I feel like I'm way far off compared to everybody else. But how are your lap times? Yeah. Usually slower than everybody else. Okay, but is it because of the gearing? Or is there something else in the car? And that's kind of what I'm getting at. Right? Yeah. It's like me. I, I might be your somewhat above average club racer, right? But I am by no sense of the word a Ryan Mayfield or a Cav or a Spencer Rifkin or a J.R. Mitch, or a Lutz, or a Board Horse, or a Mason Epley. I'm, I'm not even near that. Those guys are, they make me look completely retarded, and I accept it, right? That's fine. Now, if they want to race me with, like, an email bliss or something like that, I'll smoke them. But that's the joke, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what they wake up and do every day. But when you're racing and you're looking for those, you know, when you're looking at your lap times and their lap times, you're like, God, where's he getting three-tenths from? That's where. Little stuff like that. So at the 17.5, especially at the club level, and there's always those guys, right, that are just a little bit faster, a couple tenths per lap faster. It's because they've got their gearing, like, it's spot on. Everything about the car is good. You know, I, I had my car looked at multiple times at the April Fool's race and had it tech and had it tech again and, and had a bunch of other stuff checked, and I've had it happen at many races. And it's like, but is your, you know, I had talked to a, a, a customer through Facebook before I got on the podcast, and they're like, how do you run the steering? Like, I watched your car on the track and on the videos, and it just looks so much more freer than everyone else's. And it's like, you don't understand. Like, those bearings were treated with my, I run Avid bearings, and I, I run just the, the regular Revolution bearings. I don't run the ceramics. I don't like spending the money on them, and, and David takes really good care of me over there. So I literally run the Revolutions. But as soon as they get gritty, I toss them, because that means there's a divot in, in the race. So if they get gritty at all, just any little slight grit, I don't clean them up, they're junk. I could mm. blow on the spur gear of my car and it'll roll. That's how free the drivetrain is. Jeez. So when you're looking at racing, like the fastest stock racers, there's a bunch of them, but uh, like AJ Maraska is one of the ones that comes to mind. That kid's car, when you pick it up and you start looking at it, is dialed. Everything about that car is straight. You know, you look at some of the other guys, like Drayton Straub's car, he's running right there, a lot more modeling than in stock. But like when he ran in stock, you could see his car was good. You know, there's, there's a lot of old guys that don't race. Jeremy Harris is one of those guys that was just a stock master. Jeremy Harris's cars were, were put together perfectly. And if you were to hand that car, and like, let's say it was a yoke one just for argument's sake, and you put Mayfield's modified stuff in it, Mayfield would go faster. Not to say Mayfield doesn't set up his cars. He does, absolutely he does. But like the little tiny tricks, it, it would be interesting to see what, like, what would happen. Yeah. You know, those guys don't blow all the grease out of their bearings and oil this and fill that. I mean, 
Mayfield put together an amazing platform, don't get me wrong, but he's not looking for stock. But it'd be, you know, look at what happened when the pro guys ran in the OCRC stock nationals. They were still just that little bit, a little bit faster, and every one of them had prepped their cars like a factory stock guy. Well, I can, yeah. I, I, this, this, <clears throat> the set of tires that I run are Gauntman and Racing Skins. That's what we use on the carpet that we race on. They're foam tires. <clears throat> I'm telling you, you could have handed a set of Rick's foam tires to somebody that was probably like in, like, you know, mid, mid of the A, and they would have been out front. That's how confident I am with how good they are. Because any race we go to where somebody, like, the track allows the pin type, tire versus the foam tires all the guys on foam tires are a thousand times faster than the guys on pin tires and i'm not talking about slow guys that just happen to show up that run pin tires because they think that's what you're supposed to use like these are fast guys that were convinced they were faster than foam and they're all running foam now yeah then that's a perfect example and that's you know go back to the original question which was the gearing thing try it don't just assume that the gearing everyone else is running is good yeah considering it's fast for them Nine times out of ten, I'm using two teeth lower than everyone thinks that, that I should be at. Yeah, and I, that's the other thing that I hate is uh, what was my two-wheel drive buggy. I changed the gearing on it. The car got better. I got, mm-hmm. and, and I come off, and my buddies are saying, no, you still got to change the gearing. It still ain't right. And I look at that. I said, I just had the best run I've ever had with this car out there. I'm not changing yep. the gearing anymore. I'm leaving gearing it alone. Stays. Yeah. Well, and look at even some of you running Yoko cars, and we're familiar with that. Even going to the bigger spur gear, right? Even if the FDR change, it doesn't change. You can change the weight relationship of that motor in the car. And that was something that was huge back in the rear motor days. That was a big adjustment. So if you think about that, if you can run a slightly bigger spur gear, move the heaviest thing in your car, mm-hmm. or second heaviest because of the battery, and you get to move it over two or three millimeters, look what happened to the four-wheel drive car when we did it. Yeah. Now you're talking about <laughs> on the carpet tracks, as you run carpet, you get to move that motor three millimeters forward. Gear, the ratio is the same. But now you move the motor further forward, so it's going to have better rotation. Yeah. Less oh regret. man. Yeah. See, I never think of that kind of stuff. You can tell I'm not that kind of racer. I'm but never. Here's the thing. <laughs> try it. Go yeah. on. Try it and tell me I'm wrong. Something tells me you're not. <laughs> yeah. You'll figure it. Out. You'll notice it. It doesn't seem like much, but it's actually a lot. <laughs> right on. Okay. So let's get into some of these questions from our, our, our awesome fans of the show and fans of Tekin. A uh, friend of the show, Joel Wiggins, says, Hey, Matt, ask him why they don't sign any top-tier drivers. Getting tired of seeing Team Orion in this and Team Orion that. Uh, well, <laughs> I'd say don't, you know, don't insult the team that guys we have. We have a couple of big-name drivers, and these are probably just off the cuff. And I should probably pull up a roster so I don't forget anybody. But I almost forget where I'm about to tell you a huge story and suck up a bunch of air and just rattle off a bunch of stuff if you remember the movie. You gotta get an idea where that's going. Lee. Our top tier drivers right now, for example, consider people like Adam Drake, Chris Wheeler, Ellis Stafford, the Salvas brothers who raced Oval, Griffin Hanna, Hubo Hanagel out of uh, Europe, uh, Jason Mobley on the West Coast, Joe Vorhorst from Techno, John Michael McGinney from Hot Bodies, J.R. Mitch from Losey, Mason Epley from Techno. I mean, these are not just lame names. Ryan Lutz, also from Techno, Simon Moss over there again in Europe. So we have plenty of big-name drivers. Now, what he's probably referring to is, like, stuff that I get to look at as a team manager, which pisses me off every time, is the eight-scale Nats are a perfect example. They had guys, techno, Joe Borners from Techno, TQ, Electric Truggy, and ended up taking, I think it was second, if I remember correctly. That's just racing. He's racing against Ryan Bates, so probably one of the, if not the most arguably best drivers in the, in the, that we have in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. So 
Am I upset about it? Not really. Joe did a phenomenal job. He took the overall TQ. Clearly proved that he had one of the fastest trucks. Um, but I, can I take it away from Mayfield? No, I cannot. I just can't. That's just and I and I can't give Joe anything other than a hard time and a shout out for doing a fantastic job. I love when him and Lutz travel together. I'm sorry, but to me, somebody should be filming them. Like Live RC should get a film crew no, together and follow them. No, 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 no. No? no, don't film it. It's not on the rest That's why there's no video. It would have to be so highly evident. Like we'd have to. It'd be like Deadpool. It'd be like the movie Deadpool. Like uh, it kind of needs to be PG-13, but probably can't because it depends on what state the video was made in. But <laughs> that's probably why. But no, honestly, all joking aside, those guys are phenomenal, and you're correct. They're some of the funniest shenanigans ever, I'm and, and we love them for it. But yeah, yeah, keep it up, yeah. guys. We like it. We enjoy it. I I yeah. love it. Anytime there's a race, and I know the two of them are traveling together, it's like okay, I'm I'm going to their Facebook profiles, and I'm watching yeah. for the updates. If I, if I don't see something, then maybe I missed it. I need to go check myself. Yeah, right. I mean, they, they do some funny stuff, and they've obviously got some pretty hilarious videos, and they give each other a hard time. Yeah, yeah. The Techno Boys, you know, as a group, as a whole, I mean, Mason included, and all those guys, they do a pretty good job of, of taking on some of the biggest names in the race. Look at those guys. Even Techno, you know, five or six years ago was was just you know getting into the eight scale stuff and getting in and taking on the juggernauts of RC. Same with those drivers. You know, Mason Epley is one of the, probably the most underrated drivers right now in RC racing. That kid is amazing to watch drive. And he's, I think he just turned 18, maybe 19. Really? Go watch Jeez. some of the videos of this kid drive. It's amazing. I mean, the, the, the fact that he's, I mean, when I first met Mason, I think he, I was taller than him at one point, I promise. He was maybe <laughs> five foot four, five foot six, and maybe 13 years old. And he raced at AMA, which is one of our local tracks that I used to race with all the time. Grew like inches and feet on the months go. And like literally as far as racing went though, that kid went in like full on, learned everything about the cars, what the adjustments do, um, had great support from, you know, not only us, but a main and his, his grandparents. Um, they got to be where he is now. He, he is going to win a national title They're in the very near future. The kid's amazing to watch. The, the car control that he has, the dedication he puts to the sport, um, the, the additional sponsors that back this kid is, is amazing. And it, just to have that car control at that level in that, such a short period of time that get watch bare. I'll put money on it at some point. That that a kid to be a national champ within a couple of years. It's just to be at the right time. All the stars will have to align, but trust me, the kid's able to do it. Write it down, folks. Randy, yeah, Randy kid, Pike called it. He, he's amazing to watch. You know, as long as he keeps doing what he's doing, he'll, he'll be there. It, it's it's ridiculously quick. He just got there so quick, and he's and he's smart about the whole thing, which is nice. You know, for me, on my standpoint, he's very tuned in with the cars. I don't have to worry about, is this car set up good? It's always the issue, not never the issue. So when we do testing or something, or I get feedback from them, it's always spot on. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that work with these top-tier drivers, that's what makes them that next level. So when, you know, like Adam Drake, I just talked to him a couple of days ago about some testing he's doing. You know, and you see him posting up, and he's out there with his e-buggy at one of his home tracks, and he's out there testing because he's trying stuff. And the, you know, it's we might not have all the wins. Uh, unfortunately, Mayfield's you know pretty damn good. He drives me nuts every time <laughs> I, I see him. I give him a hard time. Um, Stop doing that. Are, I know it totally pisses me off, but <laughs> especially when you're like you're the people's champ, right? So like when you go out to these big eight scale races and stuff like that, specifically, you're in ninety percent of the cars. You know, yet you know we've we've only got a couple of we know we got a couple of national championships. Less one each ruggy, but it's just. We, you know, we know that product's that good. We support it that well. Our customers tell us how good it is. You know, it's the Reader's Choice Award champ five years running. 
I think this is the first speed controller. Now I do them in succession that have any kind of run like that. So we know that the product's good. It's just we we tend to assign drivers and work with drivers that kind of a part of our family. We don't really you can see a lot of drivers once they go into a teak and they really don't get out of it. No, they don't jump around. A whole lot. And that's because you know we we have that you know take on the world type of mentality. So that's why we have these guys for so long. Whatever those guys need, we work on getting it for them. And vice versa, if we need testing, those guys do it for us. So we, we tend to make these long-term relationships. And I think Les has been with us since 2012, 13, something like that, right when he, right before Durango. That, that's a long time. That's a couple of years. You know, Adam Drake, I've known Adam off and on for a long time. And, you know, once he came to run Electric 8 scale, and then when he was at Losi, and Losi stopped making electronics, then, you know, that's when he started with T-Kid. And that's a couple of years. So we keep these guys for a while. Perfect. We have the names. Someone there, just needs to take Mayfield out. There, there's your answer, Joel. Hope you're happy. <laughs> All right. Brandon uh, Shrout wants to know. It's a little bit of a lengthy one. I'll read the whole thing. He goes, the new firmware updates for the ESCs uh, takes them to the next level as well as the new servos. RSX is a solid ESC, but it's been around for a while now. Any updates to it coming up? And he goes also. Um, he goes also. I love that Tekken does not solder wires on their ESCs. Please keep it that way. And I have to agree with that <laughs> statement. Please keep it that way. I know lots of people have difficulties with it, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are there. Uh, I'll answer those questions because the second one's a little easier to answer. There are no plans at this current time to remove the solder posts off of any RSB controllers, to the best of my knowledge. Um, as far as the RSX platform goes. I can neither admit nor deny that we may or may not be a version of the RSX. All I can sit there and tell you is that it is currently the oldest generation controller that we are still currently running. And you're welcome to read between the lines as much as you would like to with that statement. <laughs> Take what you will from it. That's right. I may or may not have been doing testing on something on the RSX platform. Okay. Well, okay, so since we're talking about the RSX, I got a question for you then. This is a personal one for me. I'm building one of those NPRC drag cars, and I'm using a slash setup because my idea is if I bring it out to my friends locally here and show them that this is how easy it is and cheap it is to do it on a slash, you can do it on any short course truck you really want to. You'll have to mix and match parts and find what you need. I just I want to show them what it's like to do it on a, on a Traxxas. So I need to put a motor and ESC in it. And, and I'm kind of on the fence. I want to run an eight and a half turn, but I don't know if I want to run an RSX or an RX8. Uh, RSX. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. You, you could also run an RS Gen 2 since it's drag racing. That shouldn't be much of a problem if you're looking to save weight and still have the power of the RSX. But the reason why you would run want to run the RSX controller versus the RX8 is the, the timing. So you got to remember that the RX8 runs exclusively in dual mode. Right. Okay. So yeah. it, it will negate any of the cam timing that you put in the speed control or put it in that the motor has. So if the, the cam time is at 40, that's negated on the RX-8. It will, the, the cam timing is irrelevant. So it'll actually be slower than the RSX will be. Does that make sense? Yep. Makes total sense. So RSX it is. Okay. That answers yep. my question. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Let's let's move on to some more. I, I'm gonna go to your post. This is your post? Yeah, from the Randy Pike. I love your banner, by the way. I have to say, the video. Yeah. Yeah, a buddy of mine, Rodney Teague, uh, does a lot of video for um, a company that he works for and owns. And uh, I talked him into. I traded some services for the video footage. I had to meet me at the local uh, Astro Track and said, "Do I need some cool video where I'm not crashing?" And um, you know. We, 
you know, put it to music or not put it to music. So, but I, I want it to be almost like a end of a movie where the credits come up at the end and it shows all my sponsors. And so that's what he put together for me. So it's it's, cool. it's dope. I like it a lot. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Well, you, I haven't changed it. And now, now of course, because I watched it, I was watching you run. Is it just me or is when you're out there practicing and, and one of your buddies is out there and you two are able to run pretty much nose to tail without banging and bumping and just put in solid lap, lap after lap? It, like, is that not like the greatest time in the world? Yeah, most definitely. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's where it's like, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. That's the, even racing, right? That's the racing I wanted to be. I, I would rather be nose to tail, side by side, going down in the last lap for all the marbles than it would be to just have a complete nutter blowout. True, very true. I, I'm being I, honest. I, have, I mean, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, it's That's what it is, though, right? I mean, yeah. my most recent fun race, besides April Fool's, for example, which don't get me wrong, that was awesome, because uh, I hadn't won at that particular track in quite some time. Um, basically, the one prior to that was the IOC race where Scott Ernst's track was at the, in, the, in the, the, the hotel, right? And I got to race uh, Ranger Rock, and I am going to completely blow this gentleman's last name or, or his name in general, because I cannot remember it, but he was... Definitely, you know, one of the fastest guys on the track, if not the fastest. And the, I had won the A1 because I think Ray made a mistake, or I didn't win A2. I can't remember which one he was even won. Basically, it was between Ray, Ray Durock and myself. And this gentleman, who had gotten two twos, it was us three, last lap, Ray made a mistake, and I caught both of those guys because I had a couple early on issues. Caught them both, last, getting ready for the last lap, getting down the straightaway, I made a... I, I basically, it was either going to work or it wasn't. It was either fantastic <laughs> or it's a complete utter just a joke. But I jumped over the corner table that was leaning onto the straightaway and literally had about 16 inches to put my 12 inch car, and it worked. Oh my god! And it was one of those things for me. It was one of those bucket list moments because I got to hear, hear Scotty Ernst yell and scream like a girl <laughs> about the pass that I threw, and like I had it's on video for everyone to listen. To. Oh my goodness! But literally, I got to chase Raider Rock. Down the straightaway, with I had the faster car down the straightaway. Both of them knew it, but he did a phenomenal job of this, you know, keeping the inside, and it was nose to tail for the rest of that lap. Okay, so I need the date and everything so I can find that race. Cause I'm gonna take that clip of, of Scotty yeah. losing his mind, and I'm putting that as the show <laughs> opener. It, it's dude, I, I got it. Like I said, I've known Scotty for a long time. I've raced a lot of many races that Scotty's announced that, but it was never me. Right, Scotty's an amazing announcer. Oh right? my gosh, tell me about it, was, it. It was never me, and in this particular time, it was me. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Okay, so while while you're doing that, I'm gonna go through some more uh, off of your page here. Um, looks like Gary O'Brien tags somebody, and uh, he does the face over hand thing, and then Radio Impound Podcast. Shout out to those guys. Come over and say. Hope Boat Fabric Softener. Do I even want to know <laughs> what I missed uh, on that episode? That was a funny episode. Don't get me wrong. That was a uh, God. He had, we had an interesting pre-conversation that ended up just done on such a tangent. I you know, typical with you guys, you record everything. And at some point <laughs> between what fabric softener people use or what I used, what Jason used, we ended up just saying that Jason was taking so long. I think we fired him. So now I was the co-host for the rest of the day. Oh, that's a podcast. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Listen, no, I'm that's a legitimate subject. And you know, the worst part is, is I've had friends of mine. It's like, listen, when we were younger, cause I'm only 34, so I'm, I'm fairly young still. When I was younger, like my mom never explained to me how to do my own laundry. You know, and I moved out when I was 18, I had no idea how to do laundry. Now, if my wife says to me, Hey, do laundry, thank God she knows how to pick out the right fabric softener. Like 
I would never think when I go in to buy fabric softener and like clean, you know, the detergent and everything to buy matching scents. I would just buy whatever the hell's in front of me. <laughs> yep. Like, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> that's a legitimate question. Do you pick the really, do you match them? Do, uh, yeah, anyways. Yeah. Not, not good for me. I'm just glad my wife buys that stuff. I can do the laundry. That's no problem. I figured that part out. The, the smells, no, not so much. The hard parts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the odor? <laughs> yeah. It's like, does anybody have any coffee beans so I can clear my palate before I smell the next smell? All right. There it is. Designer fabric softener. There, There's a business idea for you. That's a free one. Yeah, I'll have to get that to smell like, you know, some men's smell. Bacon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, a friend of the show, John B. Mead, comes in, says, awesome. Coy Roberts, uh, as the new co-host of RIP, how do you find time to be on the NBM podcast? I will always try to make time for the NBM podcast. They were one of the first on here and, and having a good time and talking way too, way too much for way too long. So why mess up a good thing, I suppose? Hey, I appreciate it. I, I absolutely do. So that was pretty much it for comments. Gabriel came in and said, when's they going to be the show? And I said, this week. Answer that. So I'm going to go to the post that I shared. I got a few from my uh, friends list on here. So we're going to go Joe Zayer Jr. What does Randy think of the Can-Am RC series? And does he think that'll help get Tekken Motors into on-road? Um, we, we know the Can-Am series is definitely a step in the right direction. I, I like the idea behind it. Um, there are a couple of caveats to it that I didn't necessarily... I won't say I didn't like them. I'm sure I would have done it that way. But again, those guys are at least trying to do something, which is better than nothing right now, which is what we're getting from our regular sanctioning bodies. And at least they're trying to make racing what racing is supposed to be, which is level playing field and literally racing your talent. Your skill level is tuning your car, your skill level is a driver, and the culmination of those two things. And and I get that, and I, and I applaud them for it. But I think what it fell short on a little bit for me was – Again, I want to have the necessary breeding of competition. And again, the, the manufacturers don't have to choose to participate in that, that fight, but the majority of them, I think, would, would because it literally is proving like what everyone already wants to know. Who's got the best car? You know, what, what are you guys going to come out with next? And they have that time frame, which is why, like, again, full, compared to full-on racing, the one-on-one racing station buys usually have these windows where they can bring in new tech, right? Look at F1. There's a couple times during the season with our lot upgrades. And you either show what you have, or you're less, or you're better. And that's the way the stock racing is supposed to go. I remember racing back in the stock days with brushed motors and round cells. And you could tell who had spent the time on their motors and spent the time on their batteries versus a guy who spent the time practicing on the track. They were fast for different reasons. Right. But back when I used to race, I couldn't afford the latest and greatest stuff. I was a you know, young family growing up and still in my you know younger years where I wasn't making a lot of good money. and. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, I was buying the secondhand battery packs and I was using the older chargers, and, but I was tuning my own motors. And so I did kind of walk into a dyno thing. I had a Tekken dyno, funny things to relate to. And I just sat there in motors over the course of a couple of weekends to trying brushes and trying this and springs and tensions. And so I got known for being really fast as my motors being really fast. And that allowed me to then focus on the car handling and stuff like that. And so I couldn't always have the, the newest set of tires, but my cars are always competitive. And right. so that was fun racing for the top three at the club level race and stuff like that. And, you know, you just, again, you would just try to work to your strengths. The stuff now, though, is so good that you can buy everything else, but you still can't replace the talent. And so I think that's where Can-Am is trying to bring it back to the talent level. 
they're you know saying okay we're going to control what we can actually control we can we can control the motors we can control the electronics to an extent we control the batteries to an extent and they're doing those things and they're saying hey we're going to kind of limit maybe bodies for example or you, you know you can't make these these kind of drastic changes and so it kind of goes back full circle to where that's my idea for what a box stock class would look like this this is what you can run whatever's in the car that's what you can run you can run, you know, these five or six different motors. Usually, what you can choose from from five different manufacturers, but you've got to run one of the five or the six. That's that's the rule. And then yeah. here's your list of speed controllers, and you can kind of pick and choose those things because it, it's. I would rather be beaten by Mayfield handily based on his talent alone than just to find out that he's just got better equipment. Because what am I going to do? I'm going to make an excuse for it. Oh, he's just got yeah. a better car. Yeah. You know, he's just got a better this or better that. So he's got know. that better charger. Well, yeah, he runs a ProTech charger, so of course he does. But it's just, or he actually might be a Ryan charger. I should probably not say that, but who knows. But basically, it's not the charger, right? We can agree to that. It's not the charger. But it's it's one of those things where I've been in those shoes. I've been that club racer spending every diamond dollar that I could scrape together and not eating lunch that day because I wanted a fresh set of tires for club racing that night or whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been there. And it's one of those things where I would, I'm humble to be beaten by someone's town or just their program in general. Hey, dude, you hand me my butt. Fantastic. High five. But to think in my back of my head that I got beat up just because he's got the latest and greatest motor, you know, or, or maybe he's cheating or he's got whatever excuse that you can kind of come up with, that's just not fun, which is why we don't retain anybody. We can't have that perception, right? Some of the funnest classes I've ever raced are the most ridiculous spec type classes you'd ever think of. <laughs> so, like the Salvas Mud Boss, you know what those are? Yep. Okay. That is a tracks of slash for like 15 bucks worth of other random bars to yep. like get this thing to be a dirt oval car. And we raced them at Snowbirds. And I showed up and raced. They gave me the car. So, that, of course, it had Tekken equipment in it, but it wasn't, like, you know, my stuff. But I didn't care because this class just didn't matter. Having the fastest motor didn't matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not, it, not even at all. Like, it just, like, literally the cars are so lumbrous and cumbersome that you were more about just being completely smooth and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Josh Cyril and I were running in one of these cars. And again, we just got handed cars. I didn't really even know what to do with it. So <laughs> I just know that it turns left and not to be retard. And we were laughing so hard at one point in the main that I, I almost had to stop and, and, and wipe my face because I was crying because it was just so much fun. Like yeah, we were just yeah. peeling each other at some point, both in the top five. I think we were a lap or two down, but we literally just started peeling each other and like trying to run as close as we possibly could without crashing. Yeah, he And he would just get under the back of my car just a little bit and kind of up, you know, upset the car and he'd get around me and I'd try to do the same thing in the next lap and usually screw it up. But basically because he runs over and I don't. <laughs> but it, that was the whole point. Like we were just like a couple of little kids, and yeah. we were screwing with it the whole time on Facebook. I don't know if anybody ever saw it, but like we literally did a a face to face stand up, like bunch of boxers. I, I want to say of, I thought I seen that. Some, yeah, I posted a meme about it. Like it was on, like Josh Cyril about version two point going down. <laughs> and in the main, it was funny because I think there was twelve or twelve cars or fourteen cars in the main, so it's complete havoc because those things are big and <laughs> oh wide. Oh my goodness! Like, slash <laughs> that whole track was outlined two or three people deep rooting on them for that race because they knew all the racers were doing it. They were even being little kids because it literally, it was, we were talking crap to each other the whole time. Like that was nowhere near Josh's most important race, obviously, right? I'm not an oval racer. I'm racing a slash on carpet with big tires. This is going to be hilarious. Yep. This, this is comedy 101. This is better than a figure eight race. And those guys were just yelling and screaming and hooting and hollering. And, and, and it was just hilarious. But that, that I could not have paid a hundred bucks for that class entry and not gotten more fun. I never broke the car. 
I never did any damage to anything. I didn't have to treat the tires to it. I could pull it off the track, put the battery on a charger, blow the fluff off of it, and put it back. I, didn't I love it. it. And that was more fun. That was that was well worth the hundred buck entry fee that I paid for that race by a country mile. And like you know, movies I've been to, or other races I've traveled to, or nationals that I've ever gone to. And, and I think that's again what's hurting this hobby: is the amount of money you spend on it, the amount of time you devote to it, and the amount of fun you get out of it. The ratio is wrong. <laughs> It is. What does that and say again, about us, though, when it's one of our favorite things to do? <laughs> We're completely sick. There's, yeah. probably should be some, there's probably an insurance thing ready to be filed, but <laughs> that's the Canon guys at least understand that. They get that totally. Yeah. That is exactly what the Canon guys are trying to do, and I applaud them for it because that's they're trying to do the exact same thing that many of us in this industry are like, dude, how can we fix this? How can we actually legitimately fix this? Not, not stick a Band-Aid on it. You know, not kick the can down the road and do something else to try to make the next biggest thing in RC. But how can we genuinely fix it? Because mm -hmm. it wasn't like this back in the 90s and early 2000s. It just wasn't. Even though it was about better batteries and factory batteries and tuning the motor, it had that in it. It had those aspects to it. But the club racing was still good. Yeah. The big races, you heard some of that shit, those shenanigans and that garbage, and you, you heard that noise. But mostly only at the big races, but at the club level, you didn't hear that. You still had, you know, 80, 90 entries a night. At a club level, jeez, and that's unfortunately what like that's what pays the bills, right? That's yep. the that's the people paying for the hobby shop at the track, and mm -hmm. that's the people keeping the track open, which then in turn gives us an avenue and an outlet to sell our products. You know, that's one of the reasons why you know not to turn us into a TV commercial, but basically that's one of the reasons why we release different software updates versus another company might release different hardware. Yeah. We, we make sure that our hardware is rock solid ahead of time. And then we can have the software grow with it because we know RC changes. You know, back in the days and stuff, brushless was kind of wonky and weird and it got better and better. And then we get to lipos and that got better and better. And yet the original Harvest Pro is still working drag racing. A controller that's well over 10 years old. Hey, man, I kid you not. When I see somebody that has an RS Pro, like I, I told my, my a buddy of mine, Marty, he's got an old RS Pro in what I'm pretty sure he put it in his two-wheel drive buggy. And I looked at him and said, hey, I said, I'll... Uh, I'll I'll trade you an RS Pro Black Edition for that straight up, and he and he looks at me. He goes, "Are you serious?" I'm dead serious. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's funny though. But even still, like I was, wa I was watching a YouTube video. This guy was doing some reviews on a Dyno that I, I used, and he was Dynoing uh, speed controllers just to see the what the frequencies did and stuff. It's pretty interesting to watch. And it was one of those things where he had an old RS Pro, and then mm -hmm. he compared it to an RSX, which was pretty neat um, to to watch those things, and. He, could, he was even picking out the fact that the RS Pro had 98% of the software that the RSX had. And it does. And the only thing it was have it doesn't have torque control, and it doesn't have variable brake and drive frequencies in it. But you could still, more or less, take that 10 years old, update it to 223, have roar lock spec, and still go whale on everyone else's ass 10 years old. <laughs> and it's still relevant. It's still fast. No, no other manufacturer can say that. No. They just can't. Nope. No, which is why that's where I work because <laughs> of that. I love no, it's that. like it's hilarious, but it's like one of those things. Dude, you've been there forever. It's like yeah, but dude, I get to do whatever I want, and it makes me happy. We have stuff that still runs. I still have people email me, "Hey, can I get the new software on the RX8 first generation?" It's like you still have it. <laughs> Holy crap! That's like seven years old. Like yeah, it works great. Like, oh my gosh! You know we don't have cases for them anymore, which is why most of them break now, but. It's just one of those things where, like, you just don't see that. 
you know, it's we're still one of the old schools that's still doing it slightly different than everybody else, which is fun. But again, competition breeds X makes the the prices go down. I mean, if you look at this capitalism in general, that's the way all these manufacturers vying for this class. They're all going to make a better product for everybody. It's not just the box stock guys. That just means right. that initial product, they want to hit that price point, it's going to be better for the super stock guys. Got less stuff to buy. And that's the whole point of, of box stock is to have a natural transition class. And invest the 750 to get going in it, right? Car, battery, charger, you're ready to go have some fun at the local track. And then once he gets out of that and he starts winning a whole bunch and he's kind of like, dude, I want to take on like super stock. Yeah, all he has to do is buy, you know, some titanium screws, a couple turnbuckles, maybe a new motor, same speedo, same batteries. He could still even use the same charger if he wants. Huh. And that's that's the whole I even looked at it one time, which was running 17.5 blinky and then running 17.5 boosted as a transition for super stock. But the problem with that is, is boost has gone away for so long. I think that would be a little overcomplicated for people to learn again. Right. And so it'd be easier just to, and, and I think 75 that we're all racing today, like our spec R and the new Reedy, and those are, those are fast. Let's not joke about that. That's quick. That That's a really fast car. I mean, that's probably what modified was back in the late nineties, as far as speed goes. So I think a 21, the guys at IOC run that hobby wing 21 five motor. Something like that would be really well. Because the cars were fast, but they were definitely slower than the rest of us were in 17.5. And that that would be good for a box stock. Just a buggy class, though. 21.5 stadium truck would be a yawn fest. 21.5 short course isn't even funny. Don't even even 17.5 short course is hard to watch. Yeah, I, was gonna, I would love to see short course go to 13.5. Like, we've been, I run a 13.5 in my stadium truck when I had mine. Mm-hmm. And I like I just ran mod stadium truck with it instead because I preferred it at a thirteen five over anything else and I didn't want to run full blown mod, but I didn't want to run stock with it either because it just felt lazy. Yeah, and I agree with you. The cars they weigh too much for that that power that that motor in particular. Right, they just get hot, and again that takes the fun out of it. I mean, it, it, the cars are going to slightly faster, but the fact you don't need a big old fan on it, you don't have to like overcharge thirteen five. Just run thirteen. Yeah, you know, I hate seeing everyone be re- almost forced to run stuff at the ragged edge of failure. Forty amp charging and discharge as a racer, I just I don't like it as a, a as a customer. I don't like it as a manufacturer. It, it's don't get me wrong, the batteries take it. They're they're, they're held. Most of them now are, are, are the chemistry's bound to be doing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And in some instances, it's actually bad at charging at low amp rates. But like there is a safety issue there. There's also a cost involved. So like again, we were talking about a seventy dollar charger. Right, and it's seven hundred dollar setup. They're both a battery charger. You know, don't don't make it complicated. Just give them something they need to have fun with. True. <clears throat> Very I, true. I hate everything about it. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just, that, that's that's one of those things where it just sucks. And it, it, it put this in perspective for this before. Back when even mod for that matter, you'd run your car, take the motor out of it, take the battery out of it, all soldered in by the way. You had to unsolder everything. Mm-hmm. Take the motor apart, take the com out, skim the com. Clean it, lube it, look at the brushes, clean those, maybe file them if you have to, or replace them every couple of runs. Oh, my goodness. And then you had to break the motor in and seat the new brushes, and then real quick skim the comm again. That way the motor is good to go. That'd take an hour. Ay, crumb. And that, you didn't even touch the car. Oh, my goodness. But that was back then. That's what we were doing. To be a competitive stock racer, that was normal. That was totally normal. That's crazy. And that's just one class. Never mind, like, stadium truck. We didn't have short course back then. So two-wheel drive stock, two what you did every run. Mm-hmm. Every run. <laughs> you know, and that's what I'm saying. That's that's 
that was even back then, but you know, now you're talking about a $45 motor versus a $90 motor or $100 motor. But the, what, what we need to get back to them is, is bring the dollar per fun ratio back to in check. Yeah. It needs to be fun and it needs to be reasonably priced. You know, I, I'm, I, I like stocks. I like spec tires for certain classes and certain races, and I don't like them at the same time because, again, it goes back to my capitalist nature, which is it doesn't breed performance. It doesn't breed, you know, that that level of where you're getting a better product for the dollar. I just love that that mentality of the whole thing, which is why if you set map pricing, then again, one track could partic- you know pick a particular tire or a particular group of tires because you know the rubber compounds are all proprietary; they don't have the exact same stuff, but they could do it for one month and change it to another spec tire for another month, and again keep it even. So maybe we'll run J Concepts on you know this this on January, and in February we'll run Proline, and in in March we'll run AKAs, and in in April we'll run Lost Speeds. And then Ooh, just yeah. mm-hmm. That might get some people riled up, but others might love that idea. Well, the people that are getting riled up are probably the people who have a tire sponsorship, in which case it doesn't apply to them. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's the whole point. All right, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Makes sense. Makes mm-hmm. total sense. You're not wrong. I okay. know. <laughs> it's just, I mean, how it's, that's where it needs to go at some point. Uh, I don't disagree, and I think we're definitely going to have to try and do that whole thing where if you put the, the loose rules together, you know, as best as you can. And I'll, I'll put it the greatest hits together. How's that? Yeah. And the, like the top three or four or five bullet points. Yeah, and we'll we'll share the crap out of it. We'll see the response, and if it's worth it, then, then yeah, I'd, I'd be all for it. I hope it gets the response. If it's worth it, we'll do a giant GoFundMe page. We'll make a bunch of money. Then we'll donate it to RC Racing somehow. I don't know how it works out. We'll make something funny out of it. I like it. Cool. What's next? All right, next question. <laughs> Chris Trudeau. The one tool in your pit box you can't live without. Ooh. Yeah, I know. I've been thinking about that for a minute. Uh, actually, I could probably say this a little bit faster than I think. Literally, I refuse, utterly refuse to not use my MIP 2.0 drill driver wrench when building a car. So not the the individual tip, the 2.0 tip. That I, will re- I refuse to build a car kit without it. That is unacceptable. I don't disagree with that statement. Those are the best things that I have in the world. Yeah, I have a Makita driver that I use them in, but like I could deal without that first. I can use another brand or whatever, but the MIP 2.0 drill driver wrench, I refuse to build a car without one. I just won't do it. I, I actually carry two of them with me because I've had just, I've actually lost one <laughs> and gotten so pissed that I couldn't find it. I could have in a fit of rage. And Matt Wilson hooked me up with the second one. <laughs> um, outside of that, if that's the biggest I can get with it. The other thing I probably have a hard time giving up are my uh, my my Protec shock shaft pliers. There's a lot of shock shaft pliers out there. Like the Techno ones are really good. And if you had a Techno, I can totally see why you would have those. But I've had the Protec ones going on for at least eight years now. The same original pair. Oh, wow. And it, it's work on everything. Turnbuckles, shock shafts, popping out the pivot balls with the shock ends with the little pop-out tool. You know, that was the best thing ever. Yeah, I have the Tekken one, or not the Tekken, uh, blah, 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 blah. Techno ones. You mm-hmm. just said them. I'm not sure. I was looking. Yep. You know what I'm trying to find on the web page? And I had it up earlier, and I still clicked the X and closed it. On the Tekken web page, there is a place that goes over every tab that's on a, like on the hotwire. Yeah, the, the, the trouble code chart. Yes. I don't. Yep. I'll give it to you. I had it. <laughs> and then it just disappeared. 
So then the next question we'll go to while you're doing that, because this one's a fairly easy one. Jose or Jr., how is the Tekken Servo line going? I've had one of these things in my hands, and it is impeccable. Um, yeah, it's going really well. Um, you know, every, every new product's got a teething issue from time to time. Um, and we had a little bit of one with the Servos, but it was very short-lived and very quickly fixed, and then pretty much got that out before we really launched to the public. Um, and it's, it's good. The response has been actually, to be honest. I mean, the, I keep telling everyone, it's like, if you haven't tried it, it's one of those things that's, it's really hard to explain to you. Um, I ran servos from every manufacturer at some point doing testing, right? Hi-Tech, Pro-Tech, Vitaba, Aerotronics, Sandwall, Savox, you name it, I've tried it. Um, these just feel different. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. It's kind of like going from two different radio manufacturers. So both of them might be really quick, but they have a different feel to them. Um, if anybody's remembered Spectrum when it first came out, the latency compared to a crystal radio back then is a similar feeling, where you feel connected, but the crystal radio still felt faster back in the days compared to the Spectrum stuff. But it obviously got there. Um, that, that digital encoder just doesn't work the same as the, the, the feedback potentiometers do in a traditional servo. And so it allows us to do different things. And so the, the, most people, like team drivers, that have switched to from another brand to our brand Tell me, they're kind of laughing. They sent me a text message and said, it took me 12 laps to, to not hit the corner because <laughs> they're turning into it faster. And it's not because the servo's faster. Speed range and specs and stuff like that, most servos are pretty accurate for the most part, I would say. And there's, their speeds are similar, but the, the connectivity of our controller mm -hmm. to that, you know, the way it operates with the receiver and stuff like that, it's just slightly different. So once they get used to it, the other thing that everyone comments on, and this is probably the, the, most, the second most complex, their return to center is so much faster and stronger than a regular servo. And that's, and that's important. That, it is important. So it's, it's one of those things where, again, it was one of those things that I didn't quite realize until someone else had mentioned it. I'm like, you know what? I never really thought of it that way. And then I started doing the, you know, those guys that drive with the wheel bounce, they turn in and let go of the wheel, turn and let go of the wheel. Those guys drive me nuts. And, and I just started doing that just to see if that was actually the case. Because I, I run my, my steering tension really, really low. So I actually drive it like a real car. I don't let go of it. And it, it centers. I can feel the center, but it's very, very light. And so I don't ever really pay attention to it when I'm driving. Okay, but Randy, I, I hang on. I need you to pause for one second. My headphones just died. Okay. The, the disadvantages to wearing headphones that, that require power. Now i got to find i got a backup here. Hang on. Yeah. Test. Yep. Oh, there you are. Okay. Sorry about that. It's okay. Okay. Where were you? <laughs> I was saying the, the downsides to, to having the car center so quickly is one of those things that just takes a while to get used to. And I think that's what everyone, every, all our team guys that were running another brand and switched to our brand, that was the biggest comment they had. They said that the, the power and speed at which it returns to center is better than everything else. Well, that's always a good uh, good thing to hear. Wow, different headphones make for a different listening experience. Yeah. That's no, a... I, I, for example, I had one drive to this because at the time you probably maybe wasn't supposed to be running the servos. But basically, <laughs> on his particular car he was running, he had to have so much slot built into the throttle linkage for it to work. When he put our, speak, our, our servo in the car, 
he could put the linkage back to where he thought it always should have been, which is nice, tight, and precise, but still free. Mm-hmm. And the server was fine. He had full control of the car. Huh. So it was literally that servo and either the way it reacted to the linkage or its reaction to him or the way it just operated. He, he just thought up of swerving down that it was just the way the car was. But that notice other drivers weren't having the issue. And so that literally all was different was that the, our server was precise enough to give him the control he had while requiring the slop in the linkage with the old servo. Hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to know. Yeah, like I said, I've had one in my hands. I've actually never put power to it because I got I got to get the program cable and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just one of those ones where I kind of want to experience like plugging it in and doing the program stuff for it. So I haven't put power to it. And because my on road car is sitting there on the bench doing nothing at the moment, that's also another reason why. Nice. <laughs> Too many projects. Uh, Richard Winkleman, he goes, okay, I have an SC10 4x4, and I'm going to run it on a small indoor high-bite track. Which motor, as in KV, should I buy for it? I already have an RX-8 Gen 2 in the truck. Um, The SC10 4x4, so that's the associated, right? Yeah, that's the old belt-driven one. I used to have one. Yeah, I remember that thing being quite pain the ass to work on sometimes. Um, it it totally it totally was. I was really efficient at it. So, okay, yeah, I remember the servo being like the worst part, right? Um, yes. Regardless, <laughs> oh man. Um, it, if I can't remember if the motor fit, but if the if the motor will fit, I would run the forty three hundred HD. It's just simply the biggest gnarliest motor you can strap on the car, which yeah. will work perfect with the RX eight. But I want to say that the motor's slightly too long for the chassis. I think you had to grind on it. So. Yeah, you you normally have to because the Pro Four is still kind of it's a five forty can, but it's closer to a five fifty, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, no, it's actually a legit five forty size. The five fifties, the five the, the the Pro Four HD is like almost what would be a five forty five. It's not quite as long as the five fifties, but it's not short as a five forty. So I, I I think it'll fit. Yeah, I think I the, the Pro 4s fit. I think I had to trim it when I was running the old uh, SCX4. SC4X. SC4X, yes. that's it, SC4X. Yeah, I had one of those. I think it was like a four-and-a-half turn. It was insane. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So I think the Pro 4 mode will fit. If that'll fit, that's the one to grab. The biggest thing, make sure you put a fan on your RX-8. This two-wheel drive short course is still the most ugly thing for amp draw ever in RC ever period ever. Yep. Yep. If there's ever a time you need a fan on the RX eight it's for four wheel drive short course. Outside of that, I hope you have spare belts and pulleys. Yeah, spare belts, pulleys. Um you might want to carry a couple extra idler gears and get really efficient at pulling the diff out and changing an idler gear. Yeah, I mean I, I, I remember that thing. I want to say <laughs> like belts will completely just go bang, you know, if that's indeed the case as far as the yeah, the, the motor goes. The motor will be dialed. Yeah, it, it, it'll work, yeah. I, I actually was told by an associated driver that it takes a real person to want to run one of those <laughs> competitively because a lot of the pros won't because they're just they're too difficult to deal with if they break. I know Mayfield won a couple of championships, but I know that for a fact because, goddamn it, once again he was in front of us. But <laughs> yeah, the, the, the truck was, I remember being okay, but I think for full drive short course right now, it's either either running a technical or either running a Lucy. It's one of the two. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, the, the, they just don't support the car anymore. There was a guy at my local track where we owned it, and that poor guy was harvesting parts off of eBay as fast as he could get them. Yeah, pretty so. much. I, I cut ties with mine and I traded it for an RC10 gold pan that needs work. 
And nice. I, was, I was totally, and it's an A stamp, so I was totally okay with that. Oh. Yeah, tell me about I it. Still, I, I still have one of the remake team cars I've never built here somewhere in my office. I need to put it together one day. You know, originally I was going to, like, fix up the RC10 and, and actually race it. But because mm-hmm. I found out it was an A stamp and it hadn't been driven uh, drilled for the stealth tra- uh, uh, transmission, I think I'm just going to kind of fix it up and kind of park it on the shelf as a yeah a, a raced shelf queen, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? One that's actually been out on the track, but it's still the original. Yeah, for sure. And and the same thing. Like on the team car, I'll probably try to find some you know period correct Tegan electronics. I have an old Reedy Mister. I think it's a fourteen triple, brand new in the package, motor brush yep. motor. And I'll probably put that in it, and yeah, who knows? I mean, it might maybe I'll turn it into like a Masami car or something like that, but um, or Kenwood something or other. But no, I mean, it's it's one of those things where again, you have certain cars you just remember as a kid, and I never got to have one as a kid, so I can get it now. <laughs> Big kids got it. Score. Okay, so I do want to ask you another question though about ESC settings, and I know I'm bouncing all over. I think I have one or two more. Uh, so no. like a bar conversation. Dude, we got one more. We got more. I know. Okay, we're gonna try oh, and wrap yeah. it up. I promise. <laughs> no, it's okay. I have all the time in the world right now. Uh, all right. John B. Mead said, I'd like to hear more about those killer servos and what separates them from the rest. I think we covered most of that. Also mm-hmm. about any uh, any upcoming ESC releases because carpet season is right around the corner. So for us, just to give you an FYI, carpet season uh, usually starts in October. Uh, off-road carpet or on-road carpet? Off-road carpet. Um, <laughs> We're okay. to goobers. Yeah, whatever. I'm just making sure because obviously there's different stuff. Yes, so, very true. Um, we already joked about whether there is or is not or may or may not be an RSX platform change happening. So I won't re-comment about that. Um, <laughs> RS Pro Black Edition um, is probably still going to be your go-to thing for anything spec racing uh, in any platform for that matter. Um, RS Gen 2 is still going to be pretty rock solid. Um, maybe an update on something later down the year. Uh, maybe 2019, and I think the RS Gen 2 spec is still going to be pretty much rock solid where it's at because it's been hard to beat for that price point for having full data log and everything like that in it. Um, yeah, it's it's an RS Gen 2 just minus the ability to put timing in it. It's great. Yeah, the only other thing between RS Gen 2 and RS Gen 2 spec is the high-voltage BEC also. So the spec doesn't have a high-voltage BEC. But I suppose maybe that's something we can look into in the future and maybe make a spec 2.0 or something like that. So uh, we've been really focused on improving the spec R, spec R, and in software. So, again, that's usually primarily one of the things I do a lot of is testing the software. So 272 is the most latest software, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean we stop there. There's always some stuff. But 272 software is pretty amazing. Have I haven't done it? any of the updates yet. That's my plan well, this dude, weekend is to, to update all my speedos and everything like that and, and kind of get everything rolling in that. And, and I, you know, John, I know John quite well. John's actually the guy who gave me the JB weld that, in my opinion, saved my main day with my four-wheel drive buggy and made me realize how good the car really was if I hadn't have broken it. Cause it okay, so <laughs> the, the, the 272 software is something I worked on for four to six months yep um and and this is i'll I'll try to keep it as short as i can with still giving you guys some reason to go look at the software um besides the regular typical updates and just performance changes the 272 software gives you a adjustable rpm brake and an active drag brake feature this basically turns anything that you've had brushless and if you've ever driven a brushed car makes your speed controller feel like a brush setup 
So this originally came from Rocktron, but it, it works really well in racing. I'm old enough to have ridden, driven modified brush stuff versus, you know, um, mod, you know, the other stuff, basically. So mm -hmm. modified brushless. Modified brushless has always sucked, in my opinion, because the drag brake isn't never there. You have to hit neutral to go to drag brake, and if you ever put any kind of push brake in the car, you, you just blow past it. So you got this weird kind of thing where you have to pick or choose. Like, for a lot of guys may say, I've set my brakes up for the end of the straightaway so my car doesn't spin out. But then those are the guys complaining that they don't have enough brakes in the infield, right? Or enough even brakes to stage the car. Right? Yeah, tell me about it. I hate that because I have to do that right now on some of my stuff. Okay, you don't have to do any of that now with 272. Oh, no. Really? No, gone. Sweet. So, yeah, so active drag brake will basically make your car feel like a brushed car. So, for example, modified AstroTurf is one of the hardest things for me to drive because... I just don't have that laser-focused throttle control. I'm good, but again, to go to the Mayfield level, I don't have it. Right. However, now that I've got 272 and I have active drag brake, this car feels like a 12-turn double two-wheel drive buggy. I can drive it as fast as I possibly want and for the most part, really never be into push brake. If I really want to turn the brakes up that hard, I can do it. I can set my car to hit lap regular lap times are within a tenth of it and i can run a 99.9 percent .9 track efficiency range with that setting oh my goodness this this so, is the setting that i need because i don't like pushing brakes at all right so check this out so for oh example when you're, you're coming off the straightaway at super high speeds and let's say you've got to lift a little bit to take the sweeper and your car's got to settle so you want to lift right yeah but sometimes lifting is not enough no sometimes <laughs> you need to put a little brake into it yeah right? not, you sometimes you went a little harder than you should have <laughs> So what do you typically do? If that's the case, it's a really the critical brakes. part of the track. Yeah. You stab the brakes, but you've got your brakes set weak enough that it doesn't step the car out, right? Yep, yep, yep. But then what sucks is, is you might go over the tr a double jump later where you've really got to snap the front end down because you, you screwed up the throttle trigger. But you got no you know, brakes to do it with. <laughs> and you don't have enough brakes to do it, right? So perfect example. <laughs> active drag brakes like this. Let's say you've got 20% active drag brakes set. Coming off the straightaway, you lift the same amount of you know, percentage that you lifted, it will now be applying that same percentage to the drag. So you can actually lift and brake while lifting. So it's driving, it's like driving a real car. Oh my right? goodness. If you're in a real car and you let <laughs> off the gas, right? Yeah, naturally. Once, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the brushless stuff is so good and it's so free with everything's got bearings on it. We don't really get any of that. There's no friction. No, they roll so the pretty good. <laughs> they roll pretty good. Yeah. So basically with active drag brake, when you lift, the car slows down in the exact same proportional manner that you have it on your, on your trigger. So imagine driving around 80% of the track, just being in and out of the throttle like you would a real car. That's what active drag brake does. On top of that, you also have an RPM brake setting. So we actually actively change the brake frequency based off of the RPM of the motor. So for example, most people like really high frequencies and really high speed sections of the track where you need the track the car to be really, really smooth on the brakes. But to have a lot of brake strength, you need lower brake frequencies, especially at lower RPM. So that next tight 180 degree corner where you might be only doing 6,000 RPMs, you need to have a lower brake frequency to have the same amount of brake energy as you do at 48,000 RPMs at the 70 mile part of the, sweep, of, the, of the sweeper. Now you can do that <laughs> with that. And all of that, again, is, is actively being changed. Oh, my goodness. You don't have to touch it as a tuner. So, like, for example, at, at a, a stock car, you might run 15, 20 on the active drag brake. On a mod car, like J.R. Mitch, for example, he was running 35 to 40. 
depending on what track he's on. Right. So he was on a really high speed, high like level, like aggressive carpet track that they ran slicks on. So there was a line and you had to follow it very tightly and you had to be extremely smooth with your inputs on the car to get the best lap times. He went to active drag brake and said he can basically drive around the track just using the throttle and literally just like a slot car, in and out, rolling in and out, in and out, in and out, next corner, in and out, not really hitting the brakes. Oh, my goodness. Because right, even over the jumps, when you lift, it's like a dirt bike. It kind of naturally has a nice arch to it. Yeah. I totally, like, you have no idea how much this, because this is what I've needed, because actually having to push the brakes was, it's just been too much, and turning it down any further than it is, then I have no brakes, it feels like. Oh, my goodness. Gotta go to 272. Okay, so definitely, definitely the top of the list is update all of my ESCs. There's no two ways about that. That is happening. Anybody who isn't listening, or is listening, and hasn't gone to 272 on any you're missing out. What you're, are you? Living, what are you thinking? They, yeah, you're nuts. Yeah, you're totally nuts. But John, to be honest with you, for upcoming racing season, if you're looking at replacing your speedos for whatever reason, and I know I've told you this a million times, you cannot beat these RS Pro Black Editions. I spent the money on them for a reason. I just didn't. I'm not like I said it before. I'm not the racer that's going to buy all the aluminum goodies and you know the best batteries and you know cycle charge and do all that. But I am going to buy what I feel is the best equipment out there for what I want to do. And like you said earlier, it's got the lowest on power resistance numbers out of any speed control for stock racing. Why wouldn't mm-hmm. you? Why wouldn't you go with it? Well, I mean, you look at low resistance batteries. We all know those are critical. Yep. The lowest resistant motors are generally the fastest. The last part of that equation, what, what's plugged in between the motor and the battery? Speed control. Speed control. So well, why makes would sense. you put resistance between the two things? They're, they're, you know, they, they need to get together. That's the whole point. I love it. I love it. So I got one more speed control question, and, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering what it is. This, um, where is it? Under the throttle tab, the, the throttle frequency. Now, I read under the, the definition of what it is. How, how can... Somebody like me use that in drag racing. Um, so basically, drag with with frequencies, it's the amount of on time that power is being applied between the battery, the motor, and the fed, and then excuse me, battery, fed, motor, right? So the lower amount of time, so the lower frequency, is the more on time that that power is being fed from the battery to the speed controller to the motor. So. And it's actually measured backwards. The, the off time is the frequency, but regardless, it really doesn't matter at some point. Um, the lower frequency gives you the more amount of on power time. So in drag racing, you would typically want to run it as low as possible, mm-hmm. barring that it's not creating wheel spin. Now, that's the other thing is that, generally speaking, if you put these on a dyno, and there's been plenty of guys on YouTube, you can find these guys have done that to a dyno. They don't notice the frequency. And that's mm-hmm. because ultimately it's switching so fast, even at the lowest settings that the dyno won't pick it up. Yeah. But as a driver, you can feel it immediately. It feels you know, a little bit more punchier, a little more aggressive, but you'll notice that your lap times are really more affected on the track for how it feels versus how the actual power is made. Mm-hmm. But for a drag racing, usually you guys have more grip than you know what to do with. In usually. which case, yeah. set it as low as possible. But if it was cool in the morning and maybe the track wasn't as fast because it's not as hot, you could run a slightly higher frequency to then, therefore, not have the wheel spin because the power is applied softer. Oh, my goodness. I just had an epiphany. I'm not even going to say it. Okay. 
Can't share it with everybody. Nope. <laughs> One of those ones I got to keep to myself. You're going to have to figure that out. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, even that's why brake frequency is such a big thing. At least for me, when as soon as we had adjustable brake frequency, I just got just a little bit better because I can literally get into the brakes as much as I want to. And when we went to the 272, I just laugh when I first tested it. So you're never going to get back. Well, yeah, and I'm not going to lie. The, the brake frequency has been a big thing for me because it's been it's made it where I can make the brakes softer because i'm more of a like a stab the brake kind of uh, yeah, breaker. breaker yeah yeah and even no matter how much i try to calm down it just never it <laughs> so i got to make them as soft as possible but they still need to work yep yep no doubt and, it, and it's i just told you when we did the, the 272 software testing the first time because obviously it wasn't the version at the time and i just said there's 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 no way you're getting this back out you are never going to convince me that this does not hit public release level software and you know, kind of got. He kind of laughed at me at one point, and he's like, "No one's driven brushed." I'm like, "You don't understand. Like, I have." And the nice thing is, if you don't like it, just turn it off. Just click the box. Don't run it. Perfect. But, but almost everyone that's actually tried it and given it genuine time has, has ends up with it. They just end up with it. Right. Yep. 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 For sure. So let's let's do one last topic, and then then we'll wrap the show up after this. Because again, thank you for coming on. Like we've been hammering this out now for like it looks like what two hours <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i know uh i might I talk a lot man i apologize no i don't mind see i love this because to me we're getting out great information and, and i know a lot of people are like oh my god the show was too long listen it's a podcast you can pause it and pick it up whenever you need to you don't need to listen to it in one shot if yeah, you right? feel obligated to high five you're a trooper you've lasted this long congratulations you need a handshake and a high five the next time i see you Oh, my wife's asking for high five. There you go. <laughs> for those of you wondering what the clicking is in the background, my wife is awesome enough to come down and sit and join me. I didn't anticipate her nails clicking on the keyboard, though. So apologies for anybody who has that that sense of that 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 kind of stuff drives them nuts. I'm sorry. But uh, so let's go to this last topic here. And I, I was kind of scrolling through Live RC, and I, I like grabbing topics from there, and you know, talking to my friends about it when we're at the track and stuff. I had to see what their their opinions are on things. Um, so what's your pay more so you don't have to marshal? Do you think it's a good or a bad idea? Bad. Okay. So why? Um, because basically it gives you an opportunity to <clears throat> not partake in probably one of the most important things of racing, which is giving back to the racing. Mm-hmm. So for example, nine times out of 10, the faster guys on the track are, have been doing it for a little while. And they're also aware of like what the cars look like when they're crashing. So what I mean by this is this. There's a reason why one of the roar rules dictates that the racers have to marshal the race. Because they, they they know the track better than everyone else. They're the fastest ones on the track. And they're basically marshalling the class that's like right below them, right, in theory, or the runs right after them. And so it's important. I, I, at least I think it's more of a traditional thing where it's important that they actually help and they're seen marshalling on the track. I, I've been in a race, for example, I think it was the AMS the first year. They had paid turn marshals, and, they, they, and the kids were awesome, but they weren't RC racers. They weren't racers. There was like a volunteer group that was doing it for the money. And basically, not only did one of them get really, really hurt, they just really sucked at their job because oh. they weren't vested in it. Right. And that that's the thing. I want to be marshaled how I marshal. I, I might be 245 pounds and short stubby and look like a bulldog when I'm running, but I'm running. Yeah, me too. I get out there and I'm going to give her my all for the the five minutes, however long it is. And if I fail horribly trying to flip your car over, just know that I ran my butt off to try and get there. (laughs) 
Right. And it's one of those things too, where like, even again, if you, if you're, if you're lucky enough to go to these speed races and be around this stuff, it's one of those things where there are certain rules of marshalling, right? And at the big races, you're expected to know what they are. You can easily affect someone's race just by stepping out onto the track, making a move towards marshalling the car and ruin somebody's national championship title. Yep. That's not cool. Nope. So for me, don't be lazy. If you want to spend the extra five bucks or whatever, not Marshall, just give them the extra five bucks of Marshall anyways. I mean, it's one of those things where, again, back to the dollar per fun ratio. <laughs> I, I think anybody that has a nice track RC facility would gladly pay the extra five bucks per entry fee if they knew that was going to be there next year. I would. True. How much does it cost to go to a movie now? You go to a movie right now, and even for, if it's just for yourself even, it's 10, 12 bucks. Yep. Right? Bucket of popcorn and a soda, now you're looking at another eight bucks. So you're right around 18 bucks. And you get an hour and 30 minutes, maybe two hours on a big blockbuster of entertainment. That's it. Why is RC racing any different? True. Go to a club race, you got some practice time probably beforehand. You got maybe two balls in a main, hanging out with your buddies, having a good time, racing on the track. And in a lot of the tracks, for example, when I ran my track, if you're going to race the, the club race that night, you could be there practicing the entire time it was open. 11 a.m. So you're there for eight hours for 20 bucks? And you're, you're telling me you didn't get your Please? entertainment dollar? Right. Like, pay the 20 bucks. If you Please? know that track's going to be there, just like the movie theater's going to be there, pay the 20 bucks. I just wish you still had your track so I'd come out there and run on your track. Oh, the track's still there. Well, I know, but it's not, it's not, it's not the <laughs> Randy Pike running the track anymore. So I know it's, the, it's still the track that you got to where it is, but it's not yours anymore. No, I, I I appreciate that. I suppose I'm sure some guys liked it, and some guys didn't. But at least I ran it the way I thought it should have been ran. You know, it was one of those things where I, I, I what I, what I can say is this: I was able to save a local track from an, from an, from going out like two months after I moved to this area. I was able to buy the track, save the track, and put it back on the, as a track within a month. I had it back running again. Um, my wife had a big time to help me with that, by the way, so she supported us with doing all that stuff because it was a ridiculous amount of time. And so did all my sponsors. All my sponsors, Tika included, and, and literally was was very patient during that time frame because they knew what I was trying to do. And they allowed me to do some stuff that I probably wouldn't have been able to do. So thanks to them for doing that. But what I actually genuinely can tell you I did was I put that particular track in Reno, Nevada on their ARC racing radar. It had never been done before. The track had been there for years, but they never had like a truly big event with big name drivers showing up to it. You know, they didn't have Matt Olson from MIP. They didn't have J.R. Mitch from Team Rosie. They didn't have... You know, um, uh, Rudy Rico from Associate at the time. Um, we had Mason Epley actually ended up going to that race. We had a couple other guys. Um, uh, Tommy Hines, for example, from he was at Associate at the time. He came to that race. Ron Schur from Hobby Wing and Speed came to that race. All had a good time. And that had never been done at that track. And no one had even really heard of that Reno had RC racing. <laughs> I'm serious. But, like, that's, we had that, you know, Jason for concerts and Tekin both stepped up big time for that race. Um, they, they gave us enough, you know, backing to help us get brand new pipe for that race. And all the racers and, and myself was put in a, a ridiculous layout. We were on clay slicks at the time for that track. So the tryer truck selection didn't matter. And all the brands worked equally well, AKA J concepts, Proline, you know, even Panther tires worked at that track. So it just didn't matter. You can run show up. There was no tire wear. And so everyone genuinely just got to have a good time. Now I didn't get more than, I think three hours sleep that weekend. <laughs> I bet not. <laughs> But, like, everyone else had a good time. I mean, that was really cool. Like, I had really good friends here at that racetrack, at a facility that I helped bring back, all having a fantastic time. 
and again, that's, that's the part of racing that we're just kind of disconnected from right now. We, you, there's lots of tracks doing phenomenally well. OCRC down there, Travis Brock at SDRC is doing good stuff. The guys over in Colorado are doing good stuff. The guys over at Beachline are doing good stuff. And luckily, some of those tracks, you know, a good majority of them are lucky because they're so, they're so close to the manufacturers that support the racing. But the ones that aren't, the ones that are you know, out in Ohio, or they're out in Texas, or they're out where there's really not a whole lot of manufacturers support the track directly because you know, they're in the same state, pay them the 20 bucks, man. Give them the money. Donate. Spend your time. Corner marshal. Don't be a prick about it. You know, I, I, would, I was, my guys at my racetrack, when I ran that track, they definitely knew that I would call you out on not care because it was the right thing to do. I never had to ask more than twice for marshals. If you, if, and you, if you were out there and you were doing it, then fantastic. You know, I might give you a drink or something like that. You were setting up a, a good precedence. But even the factory guys would jump out on my racetrack. They knew that I was going to hold them to a higher standard. I didn't ever have to ask once. Yeah. Everybody was on that racetrack was yeah. supposed to. Because that's, that's what you're owed each other. I mean, I, I just think paying the extra is fine as long as the money goes to the track. But if they're going to go have to go spend, you know, five, ten bucks an hour to pay some kid, that's what you're going to get. You're not going to get a race from Marshall in your car. And then what? You're going to be that same prick that yells at the guy? Yeah. You're and that, and, and that's the worst because you don't want to be end up being no. that guy because, nope. yeah. No, not at all. Marshall, how do you want to be marshaled? Damn Run skippy. full speed. Make sure you're not jumping out in front of some of these cars. Pay attention where you put their car down, right? That's the worst. What, not only do you crash, for example, and make a mistake, but then someone else sets your car right down in front of someone else's oncoming traffic and just obliterates your car. You know, that, <laughs> I've seen that happen things. a few times. We all have, right? But there's mm. just the simple things that, like, that's why the racers need to be the marshals. Shouldn't even be an option. Marshal. That's yes. the requirement. See, I'm the, I'm the kind of marshal. I'll, I'll give you my all to go get your car. But if you're that kind of racer, and I get it, a lot of us, I don't, but a lot of guys will leave their, their reverse on for when they're practicing and stuff like that, so they don't have to go out there and pick out their own car if they, you know, get it stuck somewhere or something like that. But I'm the kind of marshal that if the race director doesn't call you on using reverse to get yourself out of something and I went running for your car, you better not have another issue by me. Because I'm going to look at you and say, where's your reverse? Not yeah, running so for you, sorry. When I ran the track, and every time someone asked me to set up a speed controller, so not only, of course, I can set up a Tekken speed controller, but I got pretty good at setting up everyone else's speed controllers, too. So they asked me to set it up. That was the first thing I turned off. Reverse, yeah. <laughs> Revert, there's no reverse in racing. Well, I know. And, I, and the best is, so I have mine turned off on all my cars. So, mm -hmm. like, when I get nosed into a board or something like that, everybody's like, well, just back up. It's like, no, I don't have reverse on because you're not supposed to in racing. I know. You're supposed to do the a, walk of shame. It's a foreign thought. <laughs> I can't just to, reverse. You're supposed, to do, yeah. you're supposed to do the walk of shame. Yeah, and usually that's what happens. Unless my youngest yeah. daughter's there with me, and usually she sees it stuck, and she goes and runs and grabs it. I love that kid <laughs> to death for that. <laughs> no doubt, but that, it was one of those things where it was motivation to do better. Mm -hmm. Motivation yeah. to actually have control of your car. There's mm -hmm. lots of guys that can drive stuff fast. It's car control is one of those lost arts, unfortunately. So when you see people that genuinely have it, it's pretty amazing. Well, and I've taken one of your... Uh, one of your tips and pieces of advice you've given on the show has been when you go out to practice, practice, like run it like you're racing it. And so that's how I go out. When I go out to practice, I run full bore wide open. And I've had guys go to me, you know, it's just practice, go easy. And I look at them and said, I'm not going to go easy in the race, though. I don't know how my car's going to do if I'm not pushing it like I would in a race. Well, you can't find out where the edge is until you find it. Right. You know, so it's like, no, like I'm always running wide open to find oh, where yeah. I can find that little bit more. Or, you know, why I can't get this one section right? What do I got to change to get it right? So, 
Yeah, I, I, that's an important one. If you guys haven't yeah, heard that one before, go out there and do it like you're racing it. Yeah, you may be able to exercise more patience in a practice round. Yes, absolutely. But make no mistake about it. If you're not out there trying to run it 100% during practice with a 100% race prepped car on the same tires you're going to be in the race on, you're wasting your time. You should be racing every lap of practice as if it was a race. And when you go out and practice, if your local track runs six-minute runs, you stop at six minutes. That's it. Yep. Because basically that's going to tell you if your gearing is good, if your battery voltage is good, if your motor temp is going to be okay. You go out there for run for 20 minutes, you're running your car way past a normal racing gear. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, everything's gotten hotter than normal. We, we did an endurance run the other night. It was last week. And just as a joke, it'll be. It was like, okay, when you get past, when you get lapped, then you're out, and we'll keep going until race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we were doing that, and like I hadn't changed my battery out. I was still running my other battery from the last like ten minute like race. We kind of you know because we're just (laughs) messing around racing. Yeah. And you know Marty was right behind me, and of course my car had it on the straightaways. He would catch me a little bit in some of the corners, but again that was that whole braking thing, right? I'm trying to just roll through the corners as opposed to brake, Mm -hmm. so I'd slow Mm -hmm. down a little more for them. And I said to him, I said, Marty, you're not passing me unless I hit low voltage. I said, that is the only way you're catching me. And sure enough, about five minutes later, I went to go into a corner and I grabbed a handful and the car didn't didn't squat and take off. I'm like, oh, that's low voltage. You're going to pass me mm-hmm. now. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's great. Yeah. To, I love that kind of, I want to do a big race like that where it's, you know, survival of the fittest. It's either stay on all four wheels or hit LVC, whoever lasts the longest to me. That'll be one of the greatest races because whoever's got their car set up the best and is consistent is going to be the person that wins. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. about the fast guy because I know the fast guys that I race with, their batteries would be dead long before mine. I could keep running at my pace a lot longer than their pace on their stuff. Oh, yeah. You'd be smarter about driving it. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yep. But I think we got through all of them. You actually were really quick with that that one. So maybe we'll touch on this one real, real quick. Sure. Uh, okay, so you know how the, like there's the the simulators and stuff like that. Do you think that actually has any real wor- world racing, or do you think the disconnect is too far away? Are you talking about like um, the RC racing simulator? Them? Oh yeah, I mean it's it, wheel time, wheel time. I suppose it's just a matter of you know it, it, you lose the 3D option, so you probably lose the visual, mm-hmm. but you still are looking at the visual point of car going down that lane and hitting the inside apex correctly. I mean, a lot, it, it's gotten a lot better, obviously, as the years have gone on, but it's still a video game. Mm-hmm. But because one thing I didn't like about it for a while, and, and I'm sure it's gotten better. It's been a while since I've had time to dedicate to it. But when David Jor and I used to price a bunch of stuff sometimes, you could do setups on the car that made zero sense, like negative nine camber, and that car was good. It's like, well, that doesn't do anything. And, and he found a setup that, for whatever reason, was so outlandish, but for whatever reason, the video game loved it. So that kind of stuff bums me out. Um, no, it was really weird. It worked, though. Uh, that's um, funny. It was. But it, it, I think it's still wheel time. So, like, if that's all you've got, it's better than nothing at all. Oh, so you mean, like, how they would let me put an RS Gen 2 and a 10.5-turn motor and an SC10 4x4? And mm-hmm. it never had thermal issues? That's amazing, actually, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But right? I, it's <laughs> like even even myself, if I if I haven't got a chance to go to a track, like when I was getting ready to go to the Vegas race, I didn't really have a lot of track time to hit the track. I think I got four hours on my car just to put it again, it was just a fully rebuilt and I had not ran carpet ever. 
I only ran AstroTurf, and so it's close, but it's not the same. Yeah. I was able to, to try a couple things with, with gear diffs because I just wasn't playing with them at the time. Um, and I tried a couple things, and, and I kind of stumbled on something that really worked for me in the car, <clears throat> and it worked really good at the IOC race. But I think it's before that I was running a lot of DRC just because I didn't have time. Yeah. I didn't have, I, but I could spend 20 minutes, you know, running a couple laps on an eight scale race or running this on the carpet. Or I think I actually, just, I was driving the 12 scale pan cars on it just because I knew it would have a similar reaction on the carpet than with the off road cars on the carpet. So it's still better than nothing. Frustrating though, for sure. Yes. Like that's, that's probably why I don't play it. I get super annoyed with it because it's like that, that would never happen. Like this is bullshit. But it, it, it's, it's better than nothing. I know a lot of factory guys that actually still use it. It makes sense. Um, I, I've I've used it on and off here and there when I think I need a little bit of wheel time. But the beauty part for me is the track that I've been posting about on Facebook and running at is literally like two minutes out of my head. Like I could walk there in five minutes. Of course, yeah. I, I drive my truck over there so I can actually bring my gear with me because mm-hmm. that would be cumbersome to try and carry, you know, a, you know, a, 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 a few bags. Well, that's it, right? Stuff. And haul them over there. So I just put it in my pickup and run, run over there. So I've been able to actually get real track time in. And the worst part is, is my work schedule has been so busy. I haven't even taken advantage of it as much as I could have been. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful that we get an indoor location this coming winter. There is a little bit of something in work, but yeah, like, the more wheel time I can get, the better. I was just kind of curious because I'd seen, like I said, on Live RC, I'd seen an article where they ask, is it a good or a bad thing? And I'm just kind of interested to see what, what your opinion is on it. And you're kind of along the same lines as me. Any any kind of wheel time with your radio mm-hmm. is, is wheel time with your radio. Yep. So. Yeah, like one of our factory drivers, uh, Carson and Jonathan Young, they're from, from China. And both of them are multi-time national championship-level drivers. And it's funny because it's a dad and a son. And they are they they run a lot on on virtuosity. They're on there a lot. Yeah. And his dad's regularly up on the top of the boards of multiple genres. Carson is. That's wild. Yeah. So I wish they would have ten scale off road on there for freak's sakes. I don't know, if, dude. That's that's gonna be really hard. I mean, even the eight scale stuff, I was impressed with. The eight scale racing alone, I was impressed with. I really, really was, because I was way closer to the actual driving that I really expected it to be. Yeah. I'm not really sure if they could, They would. I think they would have to do the two-wheel drive buggy on AstroTurf or carpet. If they could do it on AstroTurf or carpet, it would work. Because you wouldn't really have to worry about the car sliding around as much as it does on the eight-scale car. Perfect. I'm I'm totally okay with that. They're, those yeah. are two services that I like running on. Huh? I think it would totally work. Yeah, yeah. They, would, they would just have to like basically crank up the traction generator on the game, so they basically react to like 12-scale cars did, yeah. and then give it jumps. It worked. Oh man, I'd be so ecstatic for that. I would buy a lifetime membership for that. I kid you not. Well, VRC, VRC if you're listening, just hook a guy up. Yeah, that's idea, right? that, that. Yep, there you go. If you guys do it, cut Randy in, and we should be good. But we've I've reached that point now where I think it's time to to shut it down again. Randy, thank you very much for coming on and spending the last you know two plus hours with me. Uh, you know, talking RC, this is why I do this show. This is what makes me so excited about it. I think we have another great show that a lot of people are going to enjoy. But without further ado, I'll let you go ahead and say thanks to all the wonderful companies that kind of made your RC journey as good as it's been. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, it's 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 one of those things where Tegan's going to be a big primary for that. I mean, Jim and Sherry Campbell have been a huge part of just, you know, allowing me to do what I love and enjoy and have all the fun that I have and Ship me around all over the, the world racing toy cars for them. It's always been pretty much a good to who. Uh, but the rest of my sponsors would include obviously Tekken, AMA Protech, Yokomo J Concepts, Avid, Factory RC, MIP, 
a lot of the Imaginet graphics. Those guys out there, obviously, thanks to you for having me on again. And if you really want to make the shows shorter, we probably should just do them more often. So see yeah. what fans like. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we could do that. And that's another thing. Actually, Randy, a message a couple of weeks ago. I was going to wrap it up at the end of next racing season at the end of April and just kind of concert shop podcast with Tim because – you know, I've been co-hosting that, and I would still keep fiction, keep friend, and they kind of made me realize that that I was maybe jumping the gun. Just with what they said kind of made me reevaluate it. So I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. So just so you guys know that are listening and made it this far, yeah, believe it or not, I was actually planning on stopping all MBM podcasts and shifting into just a male podcast of my own. Uh, but I think I'm going to stick with the RC thing. I really like it. I've made so many great friends. And, yeah, I'm still doing RC like a crazy. So, and, until that drastically changes somehow, you guys are going to be stuck listening to me, and I'll continue to put shows up even if two people listen. <laughs> you're, you're stuck. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll definitely try and do more of these. Uh, obviously, I run all Teak and stuff, so it makes sense just to have you on and ask you my questions. And then maybe listeners are wondering the same things. This could be a win-win. Just yeah, I hope so. I mean, obviously, you know, we like to enjoy what we do and obviously sharing it and the knowledge and stuff like that. So those things I always feel like it's giving back a little bit to, to RC because we need to grow. I mean, it's a really fun hobby. It's a fun sport. I obviously enjoy it a little bit. So it's, uh, it'd be really sad to see it kind of go deep down into the dark abyss and it doesn't need to actually go down to it. It just needs a couple of people to, to step up and get it fixed. And you're obviously helping with that with the podcast. So that's pretty cool. Trying to, trying to anyway. But yes, if you haven't already, make sure you like, share, subscribe to anything on YouTube that has to do with Tekin and Randy Pike. Of course, if you could do the same for us at the NBN Podcast, it'd be great. Share us lots. There's going to be posts coming up. I'm going to make it the, the tagged post on the, the page. If you go to it and share it all for the next two weeks, uh, as soon as I get the info from Randy, I'll get it posted. And yeah, let's let's maybe try and create a kerfuffle with, with all of these uh, these places. They need to do more on social media. I swear, it's terrible. There's just, yeah. It's it's just disgusting now that I think about it. You were totally right on that. I know it's one of the things you don't really want to mention a whole lot because you just piss a bunch of people off or get them all riled up and then they yeah. have all this extra energy and they don't know what to do with it. So. We'll just leave it at the end. Nobody's going to make it this far anyway. There might be like five people that make it this far, so I think we're going to be good. Fair enough. <laughs> all right, Randy, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. Again, make sure you share it. Let me know if you like feedback. I'm always receptive to it. You can get me on MBM Podcast Everything RC on Facebook. Of course, I have M- uh, Instagram as well. If you want to follow me on there, you can follow me on my personal Facebook forewarning i post everything i do on facebook so it's not only rc it's shenanigans with friends and everything else so be prepared for that if you friend me on facebook because i won't deny you if we have mutual friends that are rc i will accept you i haven't ran out of spots yet yet so thanks for listening guys we'll see you later see ya Derek can feel it just a couple corners away, maybe two more laps to go for this. Oh, Randy Pike! Randy got the move he needed now. This is a one-lap fight for the win.